This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good Wednesday morning, friends. You did it. You're halfway through the week and uh, loving it, I'm sure. Getting over the... uh, the difficulty I'm finding of uh, getting ready for my high school reunion. I 30 years will be my high school reunion. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, class of 87. And holy cow, it's, uh, I'm not getting over it yet. I'm getting, I'm just trying to learn everything I can. I've got a great opportunity to MC the reunion. Whoa, are they going to pay you for that? No. Oh. Nope. Hmm. But I will get uh, a free chicken cordon bleu. There you go. Which is kind of how the thing rolls. So I went to my 10-year, uh, I almost said anniversary, yeah, reunion, reunion, and I was able to get free tickets, but I flew to California to go to this. Wow. Got free tickets. Wow. After the fact, I guess uh, they had paid a lot more than the money that came in. Yeah. And so after the fact, they were asking people for more money. Yeah. And it was like, uh, good luck with that. Yeah, that's uh, that could happen here, too, because you don't know how many to expect. So you really need to just have a low budget reunion, like maybe have a food truck come where everybody buys their own and you just all <laughs> sit at a park. Yeah, that's probably better. But I wasn't about to cough up some more money because I had already paid to fly there. Yeah, it's good enough. Well, yeah, but the, the sad thing is there's somebody in your class that is now in debt for your last high school reunion. Well, they should have thought about that. <laughs> Ruthless, folks. Well, you're listening to the Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143. And uh, Terry joined us. And Terry is, uh, you can tell, excited to get this day started because it's Education Week here at BYU, which means on campus 20,000 people walking around wondering, hey, where's the HVAC building? Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know. Fighting for find, their place. Find a map. They make mm-hmm. them. Go find one. Hey, that's my parking place. That always kills me is you're out there, you're trying to leave, and someone stops you like, are you leaving? I'd like your parking spot. $7. Like somehow I have control no, over No, what you there. say is, yeah, yeah, 10 bucks. Well, and in your mind you're thinking, I'm pretty sure you're not even allowed to park here. That too. Yeah. You don't work here. You're supposed to park somewhere else. Jason Shepard pulled up when I walked to my car. I wasn't leaving. Mm. I walked to my car and he's like, Matt, are you leaving? And I'm like, yeah, 10 bucks. And then I didn't leave. And he gave me 10 bucks. So I made 10 bucks on Jason. Wow. It's really cool. It's just how you make a little money here on the side at BYU Broadcasting. A little side hustle. During Education Week. I do have some high school reunion advice. What? One piece of advice. What is it? Don't go. Hmm. Seems kind of negative. I have to go. What good comes from that? You get to connect. Mm, you know with what? Who? Not with who? With all my peeps. The people you're just so eager to talk to. Yeah, my old friends. Never, apparently. Here's a positive way to look at something uh, a little negative. When uh, you see other former football players that are out on the dance floor that are so drunk that they can't even really talk. Yeah. Then you think to yourself, I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay in life. I've moved on. I have a life and a wife and family and children. Yeah. I'm excited to go. I really am. It's it's said I, no I, one. Well, no, but no, yes, ever. <laughs> ever. I I think a lot of people like their reunion. Well, really? the, the ones that show up are the ones that like it. Well, yeah, have fun. 
The ones that aren't showing up are the ones like, meh. I had a great time. But then again, I was one of the few that didn't drink any alcohol. Well, yeah, so I you remember the, it. You were the designated driver. Then you have to drive everyone home after. <laughs> That's kind of hard, too, don't you think? Yeah. See, the exciting. last couple I've seen invitations for is like at a park somewhere. That's smart. That's, That's a, a good smart idea. Way to do it. We're having ours at a nice hotel, but it's costing more money. And I think in the end, they, they, they're going to... They're going to need more money. Well, there's the pressure that the more time goes by, the bigger it ought to be, right? Yeah. 30 years is more of a landmark than 10 years. Absolutely. 30 years, by the way, has flown by. I can hardly wait for our 60th. Really? So, yeah. Wrong. You all stumble into I've some gymnasium. Got, I've already got so many great old people jokes. Wrong. That, that I'm going to use at the 30th. See, but you have like a role in your – Yeah. You know, you have a thing to do there. I've just got something to do. showing up. But honestly, it's it's one of those things where you'd really rather just show up and say hi to everybody. Have you gone to your wife's reunions? Well, she we are in the same class. Oh, OK. Yeah. See, I went she to my – She actually graduated. I went to my wife's reunion. Yeah. <laughs> Not so – see, that would be You're just weird. just standing around like, yeah. okay, I don't know anybody here. Great. That would be kind of an awkward thing. See, but in those situations, wouldn't it be fun to just pretend like you went to that school? Like, don't you oh, remember me? Yeah. I sat behind you for you four kidding? years. In- who got you through English? Who got you through senior English? Remember that time when you showed up late and I? who, who got you out of the jam? It don't was me. Don't you think there's like a weird judgment thing going on too? Like, you married him? Yeah, absolutely. Or you married her? Like, What was your career choice? Wow. Hmm. That's your haircut now? Wow. I did go to one of my wife's business dinners that I wasn't supposed to be at. Oh. But we were basically on our honeymoon, and she had to go to this meeting. And I showed up and had to pretend like I was an accountant, and it was fun. Did you really? Yeah. You just said fiduciary responsibility quite a bit. Made it. No problem. You will do anything for a buck. Or a free dinner, yeah. Hey, how's the diet going? You had to bring this up. Yeah. Because I've been weighing myself every two yeah, days. Yeah, I mean, you had lost six of your eight, pound, eight and a half pounds that you needed to lose. You're killing it. You're on the right track. You will make back your $30 at this rate. How's it going? Well, I, I when I weighed myself last night, I was 0.1 pounds heavier. You gained a tenth of a pound. And I, had to th- I was thinking to myself, if I would have had one more glass of water, that 0.1 pound would have been gone. I don't think so. Well, it would have made its way out. Would it? Eventually. So he's starting to, he's starting to gain weight they, they, they do say don't look at it because your body does fluctuate. No, I know. And you so, know you can up lose until two this, pounds sweating it off yeah, in yeah. the last day. Up until this point, it has been consistently going down. Mm-hmm. So, so that stuff we've been putting in your water is working? Hmm? We've been really packing your water with a lot of fiber. I didn't know that you gained that much weight, a tenth of a pound. But the fiber pack is working, Terry. Good job. Keep it up. Sawdust. Sawdust. That's how, how you make it happen. Oh, yeah. Speaking of sawdust, uh, President Trump was in Phoenix last night. Yes, speaking to the 35%. Yeah. And it was interesting to, to notice the Twitter storm. I mean – I, I watched a little bit of it. What did you think, Terry? Because I thought I saw highlights later. It looked like he was running for president. Yeah, and, and Tuesday night he was in Phoenix, right? So yeah. m- Monday night he talked about he did his speech on Afghanistan. 
Right. That speech, he was speaking to the nation. And from a teleprompter. Right. Last night, he was speaking to, I said, the 35% that currently support him. Yeah. Totally different. And so it's like, you look at President Obama or even President you know, Bush before that, they would use those opportunities to push forward their agenda. Yeah. Either President Trump at the moment, tax reform, there's infrastructure. infrastructure. The, or Afghanistan, he just announced that. You can go and talk about these issues and things yeah. with the people. Instead, he shows up and just yells at the media and talks about a wall that nobody wants, nobody in government wants to support this thing. Yeah, it's true. It was an interesting talk. He may pardon the, the sheriff down there that nobody liked and voted out of office. And Did now you? he's on you know oh, yeah. contempt of court oh, charges, uh, yeah. federal court charges. I Did mean, you see what James Clapper said? Oh, yeah. He goes, At what point, what, what, how long does America have to suffer this nightmare? It's downright scary and disturbing. Like, it's the first time he sat there and thought, either I'm crazy or everyone else is crazy. Right. Or this president's crazy. Somebody's crazy. And he, he's like, maybe it's me. I mean, but can this it is be downright a little of, of both? Well, yeah. It's just, it's just certain things that President Trump was saying and, and how he was responding and acting like a kid is what tr- – Clapper yeah. was saying, like, you just, this is just not presidential. And then Don Lemon got involved from CNN. I mean, it was a, yeah. it's just, it's, it's more of the same. But it's also interesting to see the third that were there, they sure love their president. Absolutely. So, I mean, a third of the country is super happy right now. Super and happy. And the White House knows that as long as they can float that third, They'll be okay. Float the third. Float the third. That should be a T-shirt for him. Yeah, put that on your bumper sticker. Uh, up. Uh, speaking, by the way, of floating the third, um, we will be talking about motivation. Right. That's the way you float the other two thirds. You got to learn to motivate people, and uh, we will be get, receiving some hacks for our motivation by a professor that's been studying it for quite a while. He's also a, a blogger on psychology today, hmm. uh, Bob Hoffman. He'll be talking with us in a bit. But first, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? The U.S. Navy will reportedly remove the commander of the 7th Fleet, which has suffered four collisions this year in the Asia-Pacific region. According to the Wall Street Journal, Vice Admiral Joseph O'Coin, who was expected to retire soon, will be relieved this week. The decision made by U.S. Pacific Fleet Commander Adam Scott Swift comes just two days after the USS John S. McCain collided with a ship in the Pacific Ocean, killing an undisclosed number of sailors, a sure. number around 10. Blame the guy Blame the guy that's retiring. That's, sure. It makes it look like you're making a change. The, the Navy's doing bumper boats. Other in ships involved in collisions, the USS Fitzgerald, the Antietam, and the Lake Champlain. In mm. all, 17 men have been lost oh and three heavens. warships knocked out of commission. They're running into fishing that boats, has been all kinds a of crazy, stuff. crazy... How long? In one year? This is in the last four months. Unbelievable. Yeah. So, uh, other news. Up to 3,900 3, additional U.S. troops will be sent to Afghanistan under the Trump administration's new strategy to stabilize the country's government, the Associated Press reported uh, Tuesday, citing senior officials. So... Monday night, Trump said he wasn't going to tell us how many he's going to send to Afghanistan. Yeah. Tuesday, it's already out how many he's going to send to Afghanistan. Yeah. But he didn't say it. But they're going to... Everybody else said it. He didn't say it. The defense secretary is going to go sit in front of the Senate and talk about how many he's going to send to Afghanistan. Did you hear how Jeff just yeah, got mad about that? Yeah, the bam, <laughs> look at that. This kind of, uh, these kind of games don't work, so it's kind of funny to talk about it. Trump did yeah. not say how many additional troops he would send, but the AP report says the number is around. 
3,900. Just hours before Marcellus Williams, 48, was scheduled to be put to death Tuesday night, Missouri Governor Eric Greetens issued a stay of, ex- of execution in light of the attorney saying DNA evidence proving Williams did not stab to death Felicia Gale, a 42-year-old former reporter for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch in her home nearly 20 years ago. In a statement, the governor said the sentence of death is the ultimate permanent punishment. To carry out the death penalty, the people of Missouri must have confidence in the judgment of guilt. The governor is going to appoint a five-person board of inquiry, which will review the case and figure out What's yeah. the truth of all this? Uh, apparently, I read Missouri is now number one when it comes to executions in the United States. Atta boy. Apparently, they have access to that chemical they use for uh, lethal injections that the may, companies yeah. have been blocking U.S. Uh, states from getting They've hold of. They've been saving theirs. And they're wondering, how are you getting those? No one will <laughs> sell them to anybody. Um, other news, Google and Walmart announced Wednesday they're partnering to confront the growing threat they both face from Amazon.com. Google will start selling Walmart products on Google Express, the site's online shopping facility. We are trying to help customers shop in ways they may have never imagined, said a Walmart a head of company e-commerce. Wow. Really? Something you've never imagined? They're going to come up with something better than Amazon? They're going to be able to let people buy stuff on their computer. That's, hmm. that's the different way. Uh, that's greater than I've ever Hold imagined. On the computer? On the computer? No. Since when would we ever do that? And finally, Warner Brothers and Universal Pictures are negotiating a deal with Apple and Comcast to offer audiences digital versions of movies two weeks after their theater releases. This is out of Bloomberg. Wow. The theater chain and studio business have been unable to reach a deal that would let studios distribute more expensive $30 or more for a cost for digital movies for viewers at home shortly after the release in theaters. The debate over how long theaters have to exclusively distribute mu- movies is heating up. Studios were hoping to work with the theater chains on a revenue deal, but now seems to be charging ahead with their uh, without their blessing, despite the fact that theaters still hold power distributing movies and driving revenue. Noticeably missing from their reported negotiations is Disney, which announced they would build their own entertainment streaming package in 2019. Wow. So Warner Brothers and Universal negotiating with Apple and Comcast to distribute their own movies. So why would you pay $30 or whatever it's going to be instead of just getting one of those new movie passes and seeing them in the theater yeah. opening day for $10 well, a because month? Because a lot of people are building these home theaters, so now you've got to get your money out of your home theater. And you don't want to drive and But in popcorn. the future, what's going to be the deal? Like we'll have to have 12 memberships. Mm-hmm. And it'll cost – I guess that's when we've gotten rid of cable, right? And we're just buying – we just have our Wi-Fi from some service and yeah. 12 other services. But do I love enough Disney to do that? Can you just know. have a one-movie shot at it? Like I just want to see this one movie. Just rent them from the library for free. Yeah. it's a great point. Yeah. That's why I made it. But yeah, you make a good point. You cancel your cable bill, and yet you've got these 12 other, other subscriptions. Basically, you're back up to where you were before. Right. Really fast. You can do yeah. that right now. With yeah. Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, you do that, it's almost your cable bill. Brother, it's not my cable bill. Plus your internet connection, you have to factor that into it, and it just yeah. it, you, you can't get away from uh, how much this costs just to have entertainment. I, I was so excited to just turn off cable. You could just read books. Huh? Yeah. Those books? are free from the library, too. The library? What's mm-hmm. that? Slow down, well, it's not you free. guys. You pay taxes. Well, yeah. And then, and then you don't have any choice on what books they have. 
You have to just kind of select what's there. Speaking of cable they companies. They have comic books. Did you know they have comic books? In the really? Yeah, I did crazy. not know that. Uh, speaking of cable companies, did you guys hear what they found in Arizona in two counties? Uh, Cables? Cactus? The plague. <gasps> oh, yeah. It was in fleas, right? Yeah. The plague yeah. is back. They find the plague every once in a while. They're in like raccoons and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, well, now now they're in uh, the Navajo and Coconino counties of Arizona. Apparently it's back. No, there have been no deaths or illnesses, but they're finding Yersinia pestis. Mm. It's a bacteria. People Stu- are really people are not mad about that. Studio audience, not the plague fans. They should be. <laughs> you should be more of a fan of the plague, I think. It's interesting. Did you notice that I segued from cable companies mm, right the, into the plague? The plague, it's the same sometimes. It's if exactly by the same. segue, you mean you moved on to a completely different topic than you did it beautifully. But they have the same root cause. Mm. So usually there's no connection whatsoever yeah. between his, his so, topics when he segues. Bacterium Yersinia pestis. You're saying... Watching or consuming cable gives you the plague. No, I'm saying the cable companies. They have the same qualities, the plague plague. and the cable company. (laughs) They will eat you from the inside. It is a plague. Those cable contracts. I know. It'll kill you. The disease, uh, the plague can be transmitted to humans by other animals by the bite of an infected flea or by direct contact with an infected animal. So if if you are in Arizona and you're thinking of, you know, playing with a wild animal... First, see if it's infected before you start. Should you ask? Come here, boy. Come here. Come here, raccoon. You don't ask. You'll know. If it looks like if it looks like it has the plague, don't go near it. Is it like you're a paramedic and you're checking for a sign of life and you're like, yeah. hello, hello, are you awake? Yeah. You look at the animal. Are you sick? Do you have the plague? <laughs> ask it. and if Because I think by law it has to say it has the plague oh, nice if good. it has the plague. This was locker room talk. Certainly I'm not proud of it. Even the president's in on it while he was there in Phoenix. So uh, luckily the plague is no longer a death sentence that it once was. So you're fine. You know, if you get the plague, it's so scary. No one has died. No one has even been sick yet. But they're finding it in fleas in Arizona. And those animals, you know, they're going to walk over into Utah, New Mexico. They're going to be everywhere. So watch out for it. But no, just know you'll eventually get it treated and life will be good. And then you'll be back and you'll have a shot at another election and a shot at another, you know, year of life. We'll continue the journey, folks. Uh, Up next, we're talking motivation with Bob Hoffman. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Sometimes we just don't want to do something, right? But we do it anyway. You know, whether your motivation is your family, money, or maybe even anger, motivation is the drive that keeps us going. Here to speak with us today about motivation is Dr. Bobby Hoffman, an associate professor of educational psychology at the University of Central Florida and the author of the book, Hack Your Motivation. He's also been on the show before, so it's a repeat performance. Bob, thank you so much for being with us again. Thank you, Dr. Matt. It's great to be back. I appreciate the opportunity. You bet. This is a, a, is this a, a new release on the book? Is this brand new? Yes, it is brand new. It was released in June, and uh, it's a little different from your typical motivation book because it's uh, just written in a very conversational style with a lot of different stories. And uh, essentially what I do is I transform the science from psychology, education, business, and athletics and convert that 
that technical knowledge into easy to use and easy to implement strategies. See, and that's what we need. It seems like a lot of us have a misconception of what motivation is. Like we think a motivational speaker can get up there and and I guess create this life changing speech that will then get us to do something. But motivation has got to be much more complicated than that. Well, I wrote the book for two reasons, and it relates to what you just said about motivational speakers. The first reason is many of my esteemed colleagues that are much, much better researchers than I am produce this great work, but it doesn't get to the people that need it. Yeah. And motivational speakers are very talented and very inspirational individuals, but often they don't know about the science. So there's really a need for the general public to be able to use scientific information to help improve their lives. So that was kind of the, kind of the focus. Now, you can be very inspirational and uh, get people revved up, but what happens a lot of times is those people talk about their personal experiences. And those personal experiences may not be transferable to other people, so that, that can become a problem if you just follow somebody because they've inspired you. It's 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 so true. And and I think too um so it's funny some of the best speakers uh, may not be the best researchers, some of the best researchers may not know how to connect with people. And so is is connection part of motivation? How or is motivation something that's only inside of the other or is there something I'm bringing to move you? Well, you can certainly model behaviors that other people will look up to. And a lot of ways that that's very helpful because if you have what we call a competent model that you can follow how they operate, it can be very, very helpful because you may not know the strategies and you can just follow the person. But essentially, knowing motivation is knowing yourself. And, and that's not as easy as it, it no. might sound because we have a lot of thinking biases and we kind of think our way is the best way and we tend to... Uh, operate with bias towards seeking evidence that supports what we believe. So, for example, if you're you're going out to buy a new car and you, that car is a Toyota, all of a sudden you may notice all the to- Toyotas on the street. Hmm. See? And the same thing happens with motivation. If you think you should be an aggressive person when you're interacting with your boss, uh, you, you will look for those types of cues and and strategies that support your goal, but you may be misleading yourself because of the lack of awareness you have about your own motives and your own personality. And and it's funny, research will tell you that you're typically the worst judge of your own motivation because of your thinking bias. Yeah, you're too in it, huh? You're too in your own head to understand it. Yeah, and it's really tough to break away. And another problem, and I write about this in the book, is the labeling problem. And throughout life, and uh, we we have other people ascribe labels to us, and we we also do it ourselves. We're Republicans. We're Democrats. We're high IQ people. We we have ADHD. We're introverted. We're extroverted, and that tends to cloud our judgment as well because. We tend to want to act like the label hmm. to support the fact and justify our behavior. So, and that's that's really troublesome. So, I'm, I'm kind of the anti-label guy. 
Yeah, you don't. We it's yeah. We don't need another category to throw ourselves in. Is that so? So when you think about motivation, how how do you define it? Because I can see. You mean people try to use like bullying almost as a way to motivate somebody, right? Calling them names, you know, even labeling them a certain way. But and but that wouldn't be a healthy motivation. So what is motivation, and how do we keep it healthy? Technically, the definition is just from the Latin movere, to move. I define it as the direction and the intensity of your effort towards completing a task. So, and it's really a two-pronged approach. You can be headed in a certain direction to try and accomplish your goals, but the intensity of that direction is like a sliding scale from 0% to 100%. The trap a lot of people fall into, they may be somewhat complacent and maybe focusing on goals and outcomes because other people want them to mm-hmm. or because they think it's the right thing to do, but don't necessarily have the intensity. And that intensity is really a function of what we value and what is important to us. We tend to focus on things. We, we spend the most time focusing on things that we think are important. We may articulate and say, well, you know, I'm really into my job and I feel really great at work, but that may not necessarily be a big part of you or what we call internalizing. Until we internalize a particular task or a particular goal and it becomes part of us, we really lose the competitive edge because we're often doing things because of other outcomes besides our own desires and intentions. And the, the best example of that is you, you talk to many people, well, why, why are you working in a certain job? Why are you working in a certain industry? Well, I need the money. I get paid. This, this is what we call a separable outcome besides the drive and intensity that you actually have. So internalizing it is where I I actually am now in intentionally bought into it and trying to move it for that reason versus the other five benefits to what I'm doing. It's it's the real driver. It kind of depends. It depends on the situation. You can still get things done and get things done well if you're driven only by external incentives. But to be at the top of your game, to create the peak performance intensity that I talk about in Hack Your Motivation, to get to that point, your goals, your objectives need to be part of you and your identity. So, you know, the most successful people in the world, ranging from Mark Zuckerman to even Donald Trump, and there's a lot of polarity in those two individuals, but what they do on a day-in, day-out basis is actualize and meet the goals that they've set. It's part of everything that they do. There's no um, hesitation or or no ambiguity in terms of whether or not they're going to invest their effort in a certain direction because their objectives become part of who they are Mm. and are essentially their identity. That's interesting. And, and yeah, they take it on. It's their it's it's who they are, it's their identity. Is that is that something that um how do I put this? Because you know, maybe 
I guess that can be found in every profession. That can be found in every level of life that you'll be able to find, uh, you know, a maintenance worker at a high school that would mm-hmm. that would have their entire identity and persona and um, and and motivation be coming from that role. Well, it doesn't necessarily have to be a vocation or a job. We have what are called competency beliefs. And that doesn't mean how much you know or who you know. It means how do you define yourself as an individual? Hmm. Are you a person that's genuine and caring? Are you a person that uh, devotes their life to other people? Are you very helpful? Are, are, are you um, Is socialization and having friends one of the most important things for you? So we we tend to choose jobs and also choose relationships and partners where we can achieve our personal definition of competency. So everyone has that need, and everyone there has a unique blend of these competency beliefs in terms of how they present themselves to the world and who who they want to be. So the person that may be working in a maintenance role may have less of an emphasis on career aspiration Hmm. or status associated with a job, but may define their competency in a completely different way. So it it really kind of depends, but the, the important factor to consider is to know and to be able to articulate and even write down, you know, what is most important to me because people that will be most content and most satisfied in their lives are those that are able to reach their definition of their personal competency. Interesting. So really what motivate everybody can be motivated by something different and the key would be to go figure out what is you know what what is the competency characteristic is that what you call it uh that that drives well, you. We have, yeah, we have a lot of beliefs about ourselves and those self beliefs really drive our behavior. We have beliefs about how the world operates, how complex it is to learn things. The most important belief that we have that really determines our motivation is what's called a control belief. And I write about this extensively in the book because it's so important. It's kind of like, what is your destiny IQ? Do you really think that you can orchestrate your life and achieve success? Or are, do you believe that you are at the mercy of the world and Mother Nature where you have to be in the right place at the right time or you have to rely on luck? So we have really, it's a very polarized view of the self. One view says, you know what, I'm going to set my goals. I'm going to figure out how to accomplish things. And nobody's going to stop me. Hmm. Control beliefs don't don't mean you're controlling others, but you have the firm, unwavering belief in yourself as to be able to accomplish your objectives as opposed to someone else that kind of just floats along in life. And when opportunities present themselves, they may or may not take advantage. Boy, so you you need to know what you need to know what your control beliefs are, right? I guess because it's it's like or you're going to ride the wave or you're going to change the world, I guess. Well, you see, a lot of people operate on autopilot. If you think about how we go about our lives, that we encounter certain situations where we tend not to want to put in a lot of thinking power. So if we encounter a situation For example, uh, we hear about a a new job. 
and we might automatically say to ourselves, well, you know, I'm probably not really qualified for that job. I'm, I'm just going to keep staying where I'm at. Hmm. So, and that we don't, we don't put a lot of thought into that sometimes. It, it's just automatic, and automatic thinking sometimes get in the, gets in the way of progress. So you, you really have to be aware. And, and again, this is where you suspend the bias, and you look at things objectively. And and it can Another. be simple stuff, right? Like, I mean, you can have an automatic uh, belief that um, that uh, what was one I was just uh, thinking about that. Well, that that things have to be the way they are because they've always been that way, and so then well, you never question <laughs> it. You just keep doing it because no one's ever done this, so <laughs> I can't do that it. Is so true, and that is so damaging. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar with Carol Dweck, who, yeah. who talked about mindset. And mindset is, is really just a fancy term that that represents our belief in whether or not we think we can improve ourselves and and change things. You know, I, as a professor, uh, when I stand up in front of a group of students, I I always try to figure out their mindset belief, and I ask them questions like, "How many of you?" are really horrible in algebra. <laughs> and <laughs> as you might guess, 60 to 70 percent of them will raise their hand. And they will believe that no matter how hard they try, they cannot improve their algebra skill. Mm. So that says we have a fixed belief when it comes to our abilities. Now, that wouldn't apply to every subject, but generally this mindset belief and whether or not we believe we're capable of growth and learning new things and overcoming obstacles is so huge because, as you can imagine, if you don't believe you have the capacity to grow and change, you're not going to put forth a lot of effort, and you'll probably wind up being frustrated. So in the book, I talk about a lot of different strategies where after you gain this awareness and after you decide what's important to you and what you value, what are the strategies that you need to make things happen? Mm, that's what we need. Let's take a break. We're speaking with Dr. Bob Hoffman, uh, who's an associate professor of educational psychology at the University of Central Florida and, Florida, and the author of the book, Hack Your Motivation. He's also got a wonderful um, uh, uh, contributions on psychology today and uh, just a great, I think, resource for all of us to understand our motivation. We will continue the motivating journey uh, straight ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. We're talking how to, uh, about how to hack your motivation, and who better to help us with that than Dr. Bob Hoffman. And Bob is an associate professor of educational psychology at the University of Central Florida and the author of Hack Your Motivation. He's also the author of over 50 publications and four bu- books and is an internationally known speaker um, for his work on the application of motivational science to solve personal and professional challenges. Bob, thank you again for being here. Thank you, Dr. Matt. You bet. Now, talk to me about um, 
uh, how we kind of move forward with this. So if we if we really wanted to, I mean, we got to we got to get your book to get all the insights and skills and and solutions. But what are some basic principles to to make a real change in our life that sticks? Well, uh, we've talked a little bit about them. First, we have to know ourselves, and those are the awareness hacks. And then we, we make choices in life. And whatever those choices are, that we shouldn't uh, feel stigmatized or ashamed if we choose a certain direction. And after that, then we come down to the point of, well, how do we get it done? Whatever we've decided upon, what strategy should we use to enhance our productivity and to reach the milestones that we value in life. And I have a, there's about 50 hacks in the book, but I have my favorites. And and one of the most favorite is, and this is where a lot of people go wrong. They try to accomplish too much. Hmm. So I talk about the target hack and the target hack says that every single day of your life, you're going to make progress towards one goal. Now, that could be something as simple as reading a couple of paragraphs in a book or creating a a connection or writing in your journal, any step that you take. But keep that target goal in your visual field. And I know it sounds a little corny, and I, I talk to my students about this all the time when they're writing papers, to just have that direction right in front of your face so there's no misunderstanding or misinterpretation of what you're trying to accomplish. Unfortunately, lots of people try to accomplish too many things at once, and that's actually a self-handicapping strategy because if you spread yourself too thin and you don't succeed, you blame it in your mind on having too many priorities. It's true, huh? Or you might get you might actually have success and then as what I've noticed too is as you start to have success, you become kind of the go-to person. Everybody goes to you. So then if you if you're not really clear on that one goal, you start accepting everyone else's goal for you. Well, you you're sort of talking about the graduate school PhD dilemma. <laughs> it's <laughs> the, true. The, the goal the goal is, is writing your dissertation and if you are productive, you're absolutely right. I couldn't agree with you more. And the busiest person is the one that gets the most work. It's true, huh? <laughs> but that relates to another one of my really favorite hacks. And one of the biggest misconceptions, and um, I apologize because I know you're a motivational speaker, but a lot of motivational speakers will stand up in front of the room and hammer on the desk and pound and say, don't stop until you reach your goal. Yeah, right. Keep up the intensity. No matter what you do, there is no obstacle too great for you. Right. Frankly, that's the wrong advice because motivation is depletable. It's just like if you go to the gym or you're speaking in public for a long time or you're working on your job for a long length of time, you need a break. You need time to recover. And nothing can be done without intense motivation or nothing can be done effectively that intense motivation so i advocate the rest stop hack which is know yourself know when you're most productive and deliberately and intentionally take a break because you will rejuvenate and recharge your energy and then your motivational intensity can be a peak performance after that break is over oh and a long time to to learn that. <laughs> if, if you've ever taken your kids on a long journey in the car, 
you know the rest stop. You know the rest stop hack because you can't afford to make that mistake, right? You can't be in the middle of the desert and need to go to the bathroom with you know four kids. It's or run out of gas well, or whatever, or you're in trouble. Well, I think the rest stop hack applies to all walks of life, and yeah. including raising children. That sometimes you need a break from that to be a good parent. Uh, to be a good uh, leader and to be a good motivator. But you just hit on something else, though. Uh, And and I call that the reality hack. And unfortunately, a lot of people don't operate using the reality hack. And that reality hack is the fact that things will go wrong in your life, ranging from tragedies to illness to having your bags lost at the airport. We often operate under the misconception that my life is going to be fantastic. I will not allow myself to have setbacks. But people that, that demonstrate and embrace the reality hack know that your flight will be delayed 25% of the time, according mm. to government statistics. You will lose your luggage. You will get stuck in traffic. You will underestimate the time to complete a project. So if you think about that in advance, then you can actually enhance your productivity regardless of any obstacles you encounter because you're prepared. And one of the best ways to sustain motivation through difficult times and the the lows and the valleys that we have in life is to take a proactive approach and not just react to what happens around you. So if you're getting stuck at the airport and your flight's delayed three hours, think about what you could accomplish if you plan for that in advance could be the best day you ever have. Yeah, I guess that is a, that's a problem. If you're such a an optimist that uh, you you keep believing that everything's going to be I mean I I can't tell you how many times I have gone to the airport assuming everything's going to be perfect and it just it doesn't turn out that way and yet I still the next week do it again and barely make my plane by 5 minutes but I, I should just add more time. Well, it's certainly helpful, but there are some things we can't control. I'm a very pragmatic and realistic guy. Let's think about what we can control. We can't control the delays. We can't control traffic, but we can control what happens in our minds and what we accomplish during those periods of time. And quite frankly, I don't mind taking long airline flights because I'm kind of trapped in a space where the only thing I can do is really work. True, yeah. <laughs> can't be distracted. You've found a better way to handle it. That's one of the things, that, and, and I advocate this so frequently and write about it extensively. Know yourself. Know when you are most productive. Know under which conditions. Do you need a quiet room? Do you, do you prefer to be with a group of people to get things done? Some of us like teams. Others like to be solo contributors. There's nothing wrong or, or right with either, either one. The most beneficial aspect is knowing the criteria for your success and creating conditions, and especially if you're in a leadership role, to know those conditions for other people hmm. because then you can contribute to their productivity. That's great. And again, that just goes back to understanding. Give us the one thing, Bob, we always like to ask for if there's one thing that is maybe the leveraged one thing that we could do today that would get us immediately more 
motivated, more directed toward um, have the energy, have the intensity that we need to to get what we need uh, done done. Well, for me, the best advice that I can give to folks is figure out what gets you excited. Now, many of our days at work are mundane, and sometimes we don't even want to get out of bed. But identifying that factor and identify it not from the perspective of other people. There's nothing wrong if you want to draw cartoons all day long. Hmm. If that's going to make you feel competent and comfortable in your life and satisfied and generate tremendous interest and drive and passion, then do it. Don't let other people determine when you should go to school, what kind of career you should have, what kind of relationships that you should have, because ultimately, if you are being motivated by the wishes of other people, you're giving up your motivational power. And in the long run, you'll probably never be content and successful because you've you've given that power up. And and I guess if you once you've identified once you've identified what motivates you from your perspective, I mean, I guess that's the thing is in our head, we're always editing it like, well, I can't make money doing that. But you're saying don't don't go there yet. First, identify what motivates you. Then later you could find a way. Uh, yeah, I, I think so. I, my first book that we talked about a couple of years ago, I met this guy named Alec Torelli, he's a professional poker player. And, and he decided, you know what, I'm going to base my lifestyle on, or my, my career based upon the lifestyle I want to have. And so he kind of backed into it, and I call that the reverse engineering hack, mm-hmm. because he identified the final outcome and worked backwards from that step and said, okay, if I want to be traveling the world and I want to be in a situation where uh, he calls it high-stakes action, then I have to be able to – I certainly have to have the money. I have to have this scheduling flexibility, and I have to have the risk tolerance. So then he thought, well, what kind of professions would allow me to accomplish that goal? Hmm. And he happened to be very good in math, and he he plays ten hands of uh, online poker at the same time. (laughs) So he's, he's got a lot of skill. But he started with the end result and worked back and said, what are the skills I need to develop to get to that end result? Until he, he worked all the way back and said, okay, this is the career I'm going to have. And he started taking those steps on a day-in, day-out basis when he was just 14 or 15 years old. That's it, the reverse engineering hack. Uh, that's the key to this, Bob. It seems like there's so many ways to get there, but the primary way, too, is is very quickly identifying what's your, what's your one, you know, what's that, what's that thing that drives you, that thing you have passion around. Dr. Bob Hoffman is his name. The name of the book is Hack Your Motivation. Go check it out. He's, uh, remember, an associate professor of educational psychology at the University of Central Florida. You can also look for him on Psychology Today and uh, a a two-time visitor to the show. So we appreciate that as well. We'll continue this motivational journey, folks. Up next, uh, we're going to do a little Coach's Corner. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM. I'm ready to go in, Coach. Just give me a chance. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his Coaching Corner. Play ball! 
Play ball. One of the things I've been studying a lot recently is a book called Essentialism by Greg McEwen. McEwen, I think. He's been on the show uh, also a few years ago. And one of the things that he brings up is to ask, uh, you need to find out what is your essential purpose. And it's hard, right? Because my wife, we're even working through uh, with her right now to, to help her find hers. And it's because she's like, well, I'm a mom, but I do social media for your company. And But she she may not feel as driven, as called as, as others, and yet she has this essential purpose in her life. Three questions that you might want to ask about your essential purpose. What do you love to do? What is it that you really love to do? What do you really – so you're passionate about. You love it. It's just part of who you are. You'll do it no matter what, whether you have a job doing it or not. Two, what um, – and what are you really good at? So what is it that you're uniquely good at that seems to come natural to you that might be part of your gift set um, from a higher power, maybe a higher, more inspiring power? And then the last question you might ask is what does the world need? What else does the world need with your passion and with your gifts? What does the world need? And then see if those don't converge on something that uh, could be really beneficial to a lot of people if you would just deliver it, or at least to your family and friends and the people in your circle of influence. So just a little hack for you there uh, about your essential purpose. The book is Essentialism, if you want to go look up that one. Uh, Again, trying to help you find the good in the world and be the good in the world. This is The Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends, and uh, joined here today by Jeffrey Simpson, Terry South, Dr. Matt talking to you. we got a great show for you today. We're going to be talking about how to honor your health without dieting, which is interesting, Jeff. I know. Uh, we will have a, a true blue dietitian on the on the panel with us today, and you know Jeff's in the midst of a diet uh, game show. Really, you're playing for you. You put thirty dollars into a pot with about hundred and fifty other people. Is that about right? Uh, no, it's hundreds, hundreds and tens of hundreds of people, and you got you've got to lose eight and a half pounds. How much is it exactly? 8.2, 8.4, something like 8. that. 8.4 pounds. And if you lose your 8.4 pounds in one-ish month, then you get maybe your money back. I get a piece of the pot. So in order for me to get more money, I need fewer people to get their goal. Which is but, why you're, you're okay with people failing. Well, I I would much rather just get my money back and have more people succeed because yeah. I'm not doing this to make money. But aren't you doing it really to make other people fat? Is there like no. a, is there a discussion board or a Facebook group or something? There is. People can post pictures. They can, can you cheer just each other on. Post pictures of pizza. Try to sabotage <laughs> oh, everyone. Come on, this is, a, this is a game, right? We do eat pizza once a week, even though I'm on no, this diet. You can't. But we're doing it. I know, but you see, this is why you've gained a tenth of a pound. <laughs> Too much cheese. You can't pack no, in the, the cheese like that. The cheese is one of the things that's good because I'm also trying to do a low-carb, 
high fat. But See, I think I'm getting uh, into trouble because yeah. those two are starting to get closer together. Yeah. So I'm doing a little more carbs and it, still have the high fat. Is, so. is Jeff dishonoring his health? At this yes. Moment? That's why our, our guest today will talk mm. about how to honor your health without a diet. Just right. learn the principles. You're telling me I've lost five and a half pounds, yeah, and that's not a good thing. But that's you've done it in a shameful thing. way. That's a, I think <laughs> it's a great thing, and you look wonderful. And honestly, I like your yoga pants. I don't care what Terry says. I think they're nice. Time and place. Yeah, in the office. Come on. But they're yoga pants. It looks like you just rolled out of bed. Put on some clothes. <laughs> Do you know how hard it is for Jeff to put on his yoga pants? Like well, that's I know. A, it's a workout. Yoga pants are hard to get into. Yeah. Then I know that. It's the difference between a tenth of a pound, getting those pants on or not. That's right. That's right. Well, we wish you the best of luck. And again, we're proud of you. No matter whether you win or lose, whether you get your money back or not, we are proud of you and the weight you've lost. Wrong. And so is Mr. Trump. <laughs> nobody, nobody cares more. Uh, today, we also are going to be doing a lot of empty news. Um, including we have a new sponsor we're really excited about. It's always fun on the on the Matt Townsend Show when we're able to land a new sponsor. And today's sponsor, is it's going to surprise you, but it's a brilliant business idea. Oh, yeah. Because usually if you are a victim of a theft, usually you just notice things that were stolen. Right. But this particular person noticed something else about his home mm. that was a little out of the ordinary. I think it's fantastic. Just It was random. But yeah. I think a real gift. And in a way, it's kind of – sure, a theft might be involved, but it's also paying it forward. Exactly. So paying a theft forward. We'll get mm-hmm. to that and that wonderful sponsor. Um, also, straight ahead, uh, who better to help us with the headlines than Terry South, who can't get enough news? Apparently. He's a newsaholic. He's a news junkie. What's up, Terry, that we need to be paying attention to? The Charlottesville City Council voted to drape two Confederate statues in black fabric during a chaotic meeting packed with irate residents who screamed and cursed at councillors over the city's response to a white nationalist rally. The anger at Monday night's meeting, during which three people were arrested, forced the council to abandon its agenda and focus instead on the tragedy. Covering the statues is intended to signal the city's mourning for Charles, uh, Charlesville resident Heather Heyer, hmm. who was killed when a car slammed into a crowd protesting the rally. So that town's kind of torn up, and they're still dealing with it. Apparently. Yeah. And this this is the complicated thing. This, this is probably a really good discussion we should be having as a country. And yet, every time we try to have it or could have it, it gets a little violent. It gets a little out of control. Right. We've got to figure this out. Not sure what the answer is. I don't either. Jared Kushner, President Trump's son-in-law and senior advisor, will travel to Israel until today, the third trip in the to the country since being tasked by the president to bring peace to the Middle East. That's his oh, job. Jared Kushner was tasked. Yeah. Okay. The real estate agent from yeah. New York City. Oh, sure. Now son-in-law. Kushner is scheduled to meet on Thursday separately with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and Palestinian Authority President Mahmoud Abbas, a person close to the White House, told the Los Angeles Times Kushner is considering this a temperature-taking trip, not expecting anything major to come out of it. The White House said the discussions will focus on combating extremism, humanitarian issues in the Gaza Strip, and the path to substantive Israeli-Palestinian peace talks. This is great. It's a mouthful. Palestinian. Palestinian peace talks. Hey, look at it this way. If, yeah. your, if your dad 
Yeah. Let's say your dad was elected president of the United States. That'd be funny, but sure. Or your father-in-law, either way. Either way, it'd be funny. Which member of your family would be in charge of creating peace in the (sighs) Middle East? Wow. Um... Yeah. Wow. See, it's hard. Yeah. So I think everybody ought to just look at it that way, that if your father was president, somebody would have to be the senior advisor, somebody would have to still run the business, and somebody would have to go create peace in the Middle East. Figure out who that would be in your family. I I was reading yesterday, Ben Carson, the Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, HUD, right? His wife is seen more at the HUD offices than he is, and his (laughs) son is actually in there helping out. They oh. asked what so a reporter asked what his official position was. He goes, "I'm just trying to help anywhere I can." See, this is what's great. It used to be government was just where people would go to work, but now it's about family. <laughs> no experience in doing any of yeah. this, but yeah, you're family. Right. Sure, at least we're together. In other news, Americans are not very optimistic about their children's financial futures. Uh-oh. Only 37 percent of Americans believe today's children will grow up to be better off than their parents were financially. A sentiment that's unchanged since 2013, according to a recent survey by Pew Research Center. Experts say it's very hard for people to thrive when health care, housing, and education costs are so high. Americans aren't the only people pessimistic about future generations' finances. Canadians aren't very hopeful, nor, nor are the people in France, Greece, Japan, Australia, Kenya, and Mexico. Hmm. Overall, the median of 41% of residents in countries Pew surveyed believe their children in their country will be better off. Wow. People are down, which is weird because it, it stock market's at its highest, we learned. And as it says, the gloomy outlooks come even as people view their country's economic po- positive, or economy positively in America. 58% believe the economy standing uh, of the U.S. was good in this, in this survey. So they think it's good now, but they don't think it's going to remain in that positive trend yeah. in the future. Yeah. yeah. And finally, uh, Facebook losing appeal with among teens and young adults, which is contributing to general slowing of growth for the platform. Mm-mm. This is latest projections from a research firm called eMarketer. At the same time, alternative social apps Snapchat and Facebook-owned Instagram are seeing a rising and double-digit growth in the same youth demographic, suggesting younger users are favoring newer and more visual communication platforms rather yes. than Facebook. I'm with them. It's the second consecutive year of expanded usage or expected usage declines for Facebook among its advi- advertiser coveted group of the 18 to like 25 right there. In that Everybody group. wants that meaty coveted group. What's funny though, Facebook losing with their Facebook.com mm-hmm. offerings, but they've gone ahead and purchased Instagram a couple of years ago. Dominate Which the world. puts them back in front of that group of people they're losing from the main product. And then aren't they, that, how, do, how are they competing with Snapchat? Because they keep. They're stealing everything Snapchat does. Whatever yeah. Snapchat has done on their website, they put it on the Instagram yeah. app. And people like that better. Instachat. See, Snap this, Slack. Yeah, this makes me feel bad. Are oh. you saying that I'm not coveted? No. Because I'm not in that 18 to 25 oh, age yeah. range? Yeah, we've been saying that for years. Hmm. I think it's because as you get older, you, you make uh, purchasing decisions with more thought. Yeah, but you know? I'm purchasing so you're, you're just, more than I was as a 25-year-old. But, but you do it in a more thoughtful way. But you really aren't because your wife is. What, what do you mean? Well, like women are the ones that have oh, yeah. most of the purchasing power. It's true. So maybe, you maybe. Are, you're, like, you're, you're worth about a third of a human as opposed to a woman <laughs> who's a full human. This is Can true. I still vote? In purchasing power. Yes, but you must consult your wife first. <laughs> okay. 
I mean, really, they're the powerhouse. And it's fun to talk to your teenagers about it. Like, hey, so I want to know your passwords to Facebook. And they look at you like. <laughs> yeah, sure. Here you I go. don't have Facebook, Dad. They should just give it to you <laughs> because they're not honest. You're never yeah. going to, you know. They should. Oh, Dad, you're they're so They're not cute. thinking about how to, you know, make sure the parents are. They feel like they're involved. Right, right, right. right? And then actually they're not because you're on Snapchat. Do you know what else is kind of bad? So I've been putting some ads up on Instagram for one of my business uh, products. Mm. And then I – The Matt Townsend fidget spinner. The Matt Townsend fidget spinner. Um, And yeah. Coming soon. Uh And the psychology behind a good fidget. Right. Um, So – but then I have my son on my ads commenting. Nice one, dad. Nice try on this one, Dad. So I'm like, no, 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 son, you can't comment on my ads. No, that's good. Yeah, no. Just let him comment. Don't comment on Daddy's ads. Why not? Because you're going to skew the data. You're going to mess up my. You're going to mess up my my marketing. So you don't want to hear from your children? No. Not to be rude. By the way, today they went to school. What a beautiful day. I was. I'm always up early. Yeah. And I couldn't believe it. I had kids running around the house before I had even left the house. My kids were all over the place. Everybody in the house was up. Mm. I have always gotten up this early for years, and no one was up. Today, every child was up. Nice. It was such a beautiful moment. See, I'm excited to get to that point because my three-year-old and five-year-old were up before 6 o'clock this morning, so like 5.45 in the morning. Oh, wow. Yeah, wait till they're teenagers. You can't usually get them up. Until the first day of school. And boy, could you smell Axe. <laughs> a lot of Axe body we spray going on. We had a lot of Axe body spray going on. In fact, my wife almost lit a candle, and I'm like, don't like that. <laughs> Open flame. Be careful. Honey, we will blow this whole city up. Anyway, so uh, great times. Those that are going back to school, good times. Life is very, very good. Um, we also have some empty news that I wanted to get to. Jeffrey, uh, guide us on the empty news. What are some news headlines we should be paying attention to? The MT News Team. First on the scene, fifth on facts. You a fan of kale? Come again? Kale? kale? No. Really? Not a fan. I mean, it is my favorite garnish. Okay. It, when I go to a, you know... A salad bar. I okay. do love to see that in the ice next to the bowls. Could you imagine competing in a kale eating championship? No. Okay. No. Yeah, me neither. Yeah. But, but I guess people do it. Gideon OG is once again the top dog beating back a challenge from hot dog eating champ Joey Chestnut. And OG gulped down 22 and a half. 16-ounce bowls of the leafy green vegetable in eight minutes. What? During Sunday's Kale Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's the name of the competition. That's cute. Kale Yeah. Yeah. The kale was served raw with oil and vinegar. Mm. The contest is billed as the world's healthiest eating competition. Chestnut of San Jose, California, consumed 20 kale servings. Yeah. He is the reigning hot dog eating champion at the Nathan's Famous. Yeah. See, now he's just being selfish. Now can't he's trying just, to win everything. Can't you just keep you stay hey, on your side of the playground? Let the vegans have their own. Yeah. Right? Just yeah. let them have their own uh, eating contest. But, you know, there's nothing worse than coming in second at the kale eating contest. Because you Actually, just, wouldn't that be better? Because it means you consumed less kale. But you still consumed 20 bowls of 16 ounces worth of kale and you didn't win. 
So it was all so for it nothing. Was for nothing. You ate <laughs> all that kale for nothing. But you may have added 10 years to your life. Yeah. Or you may have uh, <laughs> impacted your bowel. That's true. And now you're going to it's be in point. the hospital for the next year. You're not a horse for crying out loud. That is also a very good point. Thank you. So I have been the victim of theft before. Have you? Yes. And it's it's not a good feeling. It's you feel violated. You know, you 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 come into your home after it's been vent- or uh, burglarized and it's really confusing. It's mm. disorienting. It, it's almost like you don't know where you're at. Yeah, and yeah, and then like what's missing and you don't know, oh, where's my right. then, where's my jewelry? Yeah, like when you lost your bling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that gold necklace and your teeth, your grill. I had grills. Somebody mm-hmm. ripped them right out in the Where'd middle of the night. Where did my grill go? Have you ever been the – did I already ask you if you've been the victim of theft? Uh, I probably have, but I don't remember it. Okay. I don't think I have. Well – Like a robbery, a home – like a home burglary? There's a silver lining here. Okay, what? What? Okay. So you come home. We, As we've talked about, somebody has – it seems like somebody's broken in, but – your apartment or your home yeah. is magically clean mm-hmm. for free. But in this case, it appears a crime was committed. Police in Arlington, Virginia, said they are investigating after a resident came home just after midnight Monday from being on a trip and found something out of whack. The apartment had been cleaned. Police are not sure at this time and have no description of a suspect or suspects. A police spokeswoman said someone unlawfully entered the apartment. The resident noticed some items had been moved around, but nothing appeared to be missing from the home, authorities said. Okay, so somebody broke in. Mm-hmm. Nothing was missing, but the house was cleaned. And he's complaining. Yeah, what is that? What's wrong with that? That might just be an angel from heaven. Yeah. So not, the, so far, as as far as they know, nothing was taken. But the crime was simply breaking and entering. Right. What if it was somebody from his church group? What if it was mom just sneaking in? Mom comes in to town and like, I'm going to surprise my little boy. So apparently this is kind of a big thing that's happening now. And we've got a new sponsor oh, cool. for a company that will rob you blind, but then they'll leave your house clean as a whistle. Ever wake up to find all your prized possessions have been stolen? but that your home has been left spick and span. Chances are you've been a victim of the Crook Cleaners. Like any good Boy Scout, the Crook Cleaners believe in leaving a place cleaner than when they found it. And that includes the homes they rob. In partnership with the Crook Closet, the only store where criminals can find the outfits they need to feel more confident on the job, The Crook Cleaners work hard to ensure your most traumatizing experience is also your most pleasant one. Just listen to some of our reviews on Yelp, where we have a surprisingly high 3.2 star rating. T.O.D. in Tulsa writes, I woke up to find my TV was gone. But so was the ring in the bathtub. Jackie O. writes, My current cleaners charge an arm and a leg and do such a poor job. I felt like I was already being robbed, so it's all good. Wayne Newton Love You writes, Please, can I have my TV back? Also, can I get the name of the cleanser you used on the kitchen counter? It's so sparkly clean. And Mad Dog 472318 writes, I hope these guys burn for all eternity. There will be a special place in purgatory just for them. 
However, they will also hold a special place in my heart. And the best part? No appointments necessary. It's like the old saying goes, Don't call us, we'll call on you. And you don't even have to be home. In fact, we prefer it that way. The Crook Cleaners. We'll take you to the cleaners, and then we'll leave your home cleaner. Uh, eating healthy can mean different things depending on who you ask. You know, to some it means resisting that leftover chocolate cake. To others, it means eating your veggies. Did you know that about 45 million Americans go on a diet each year, and yet chronic diseases related to poor quality of diet have only increased? About half of all American adults have one or more of these diseases, which include obesity, type 2 diabetes, and cardiovascular disease. So maybe dieting isn't the only solution. And if there are so many Americans battling with these diseases, how do we sort through all of the information that's out there? Well, who better to help us than Emily Fonsbeck, a registered dietitian. She's joining us on the phone today to talk about how to eat healthy without going on a diet. Emily, thank you for being with us today. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. You bet. A registered dietitian and and trying to help us kind of sort through how to honor our health. What What is it about? Uh, it seems like there's so many experts out there telling us what to do, um, but it, it, it almost seems more confusing than it is clarifying. Oh, for sure. It can feel really confusing, very convoluted, and super overwhelming to know which way to turn. And and I, I think that you're, you know, in your intro, you mentioned um, the futility of dieting. And I, I think that's usually, you know, the, the biggest confusion is which diet to go on, right? Right. And because it's like, yeah, are we supposed to do the protein diet? Uh, the, are we supposed to kind of go back to all of the old diets that we've done over the years, the grapefruit diet? And I mean, I guess at some point, is it just that everybody is playing with the, the principles and, and really what we ought to do is just master the principles instead of mastering a diet? Yeah, I believe so, for sure. I actually really like to help people focus on behaviors versus, um, you know, the behaviors around food versus the actual food itself. And that it tends to be much more effective. And the reason for that is, you know, really, despite the emphasis on obesity as a major health issue, really little progress has been made toward its treatment or prevention. And the typical recommendation for it is dieting, but there's actually no research that has found weight loss intervention to be sustainable beyond about two years. Really? So that means that, yeah. Wow. So a very, yeah. <laughs> um, and we're kind of led to believe by the dieting industry that that is not the case, you know, that if, if you really just commit to this, then then you know you'll you'll find the results you want, but that just isn't substantiated in the research. So what that really means is a very high percentage of people, 87% being the latest statistic that I've seen, will regain the weight that they've lost um, within that two-year uh, mm. time frame. So actually, the only solid research we have on dieting is it actually encourages weight gain, not weight loss. Yeah, exact opposite of what people are trying to achieve with it. Well, and then that's got to be so, you know, unmotivating. It's got to be so destabilizing that do then people just give up? Like, okay, this isn't working. I guess I'm just destined to be overweight. Oh, absolutely. It can easily lead to a very all-or-nothing mentality with food. So either I'm on or off, 
a, a diet, either I'm being good or bad, or either I'm, you know, eating clean or I'm cheating, or any number of other, you know, ways that we use to describe um, how we eat. And really, I think actually that mentality right there is the biggest stumbling block to actually meeting your goals is, so dieting encourages this all or nothing mentality. So the way we view food now is either, you know, it's just one of two extremes. And we lose sight of that gray area where food is more moderate and flexible and we're able to develop self-trust. And I actually think one of the biggest casualties of dieting and, and this all or nothing mentality is how powerless it can make people feel. I mean, they start to feel like they're powerless around food, that, you know, if, if they don't have rules, they're just behaving chaotically and they don't have, they have no power to change it. And that's so um, demoralizing mm. and they lose all self-trust and confidence with their ability to self-moderate food choices. And I mean, I would just really want anyone to know listening that there's absolutely another way that is much more um, supportive of you know, feeling more confident with food and being able to navigate it in ways that doesn't feel so overwhelming. Is there anything else in our life that um, can control us as much as this topic? I mean, and that that actually makes us feel like such a constant, continuous failure than than this kind of diet yo-yo regime or approach. I've never seen. I mean, I've seen very little. I mean, maybe an addiction. Maybe, you know, maybe mm-hmm. a, a, a habit or an addiction that you have spent your entire life trying to get uh, through. Um, but other than that, diet, it, and it does, and I guess, too, then all of a sudden, when you're not feeling good about yourself, you might not care about anything anymore, but you probably pull away from people. You probably get more depressed. There's so many other things we, we don't even talk about. Oh, absolutely. And, I, you know, I've actually thought a lot about this, and I, there's really nothing we do more every day than eat. I mean, that is something that we probably do more often than we do anything else. You know, we do that three to five times a day or more. And um, so, so, you know, as soon as that situation comes up again, we can have to, we have to relive all of that confusion and all of that frustration over and over and over again. And so we actually see dieters report an increase in depressive symptoms and anxiety scores. So Mm. we know that it's emotionally distressing and obviously that will have a big impact on relationships, professional life. I mean, ultimately, I think what happens is we're, we are devoting so much mental energy to navigating food that it leaves us with very little for navigating other more valuable, meaningful, important things in our life, which is so unfortunate. So, yeah, I think it's absolutely all-consuming for people. Does I guess is the bigger problem just how we've been approaching it for years is, I mean, because there, like you're teaching us, there is a healthier way to do this that um, that is about honoring health, but not so much about the diet. Um, is it just our approach that's kind of created this chaotic yo-yo, or is this is this like human nature that you know we always want someone else to be responsible for our weight loss successes and goals, and also someone to blame? Uh, I think all of that is are factors for sure. So there's going to be different personality types. I think, I do think the way we approach it is, is definitely ineffective. Um, what I, what I think, you know, happens here is we focus on an outcome that in all honesty, we don't have 
all control over. So, you know, if we're trying to control an outcome, weight loss in this example, um, it's largely influenced by genetics. So it's really something the individual has less control over than they might believe. I mean, culturally, we really are sent this message that if you just work hard enough, you can look however you want. And I think it's a dangerous message because we have to accept, you know, certain genetic predispositions to where our natural set point or the weight at which, you know, our bodies function most optimally is, you know, genetically set. Um, But what we do have control over is our behaviors. So I find it far more empowering to help people implement healthy behaviors that will help them feel and function better, feel more effective and, and capable in their lives. Um, and focus their, you know, their attention there in something that they do have control over. Um, I do think that, you know, just the dieting industry in general has kind of created this, you know, well, if I, you know, if I trust this diet and I, and, and it works, right. And so I give all the credit to the diet. And then as soon as it, as soon as it doesn't work anymore, I blame myself. Yeah. So we're in this very vicious cycle of, you know, putting a diet on a pedestal and then blaming ourselves for anything that goes wrong. But we have to realize that dieting is futile. We know that statistically. And um, so we have to figure out a def- definitely a different way to approach this. Absolutely. Give us some principles uh, that we should be following. What if we're not going to like you know make it a diet and have them send us the f- the food and um mm-hmm. and and babysit us that way by handing it all to us what what are the principles we should follow that that still honor health that's a really great question and i have a few um i i think i'll start with this idea of satisfaction um we kind of run scared of feeling satisfied because we equate it with overeating. Mm. Um, but I actually really encourage individuals to set an intention daily or at each meal to eat with the intent to feel satisfied. Because in my experience, uh, eating with the intent to feel satisfied naturally decreases patterns of undereating or overeating because neither of those are satisfying. They're actually painful or uncomfortable. So if we can instead instead of being so motivated by external rules or factors when it comes to food, if we can start reconnecting with our our senses of hunger and fullness and satisfaction and appetite, we actually are are very good at being self-directed. If that feels difficult right now, it's likely just because someone hasn't had practice with it, not because they're not good at it. We're all really born with that natural instinct to know how to self-moderate food. I think we can all think of kids we have seen eat that have, you know, pushed away a bowl of half-eaten ice cream because they were done. Hmm. Um, And somewhere along the line, we lose that ability to connect and respect our bodies and its sensations and instincts. Um, And it's usually because we give our power over to something else like a diet or maybe even a well-meaning caretaker. Um, or you know, and, and it could be a few different things. Well, that's interesting because you say, um, so set an intention to eat until satisfied when normally when we think of a diet, we think of, yeah, you know, there's nothing satisfying about this, right? So just eat the cardboard yeah. and just chew it down. Life is right. good. But you're saying, no, notice what you're feeling. Notice, notice throughout the meal, do you feel full? Where are you? Are you to the point of being satisfied? Then walk away. Yes, and I, the biggest reason for that is 
you know, satisfaction is really innate. It's we are physiologically and psychologically driven to feel satisfied from food. That's not going anywhere. We've got to learn how to embrace it and work with it. And if we have, we all know, I'm sure there's been times when we have felt deprived or unsatisfied for any length of time, maybe acute or chronically a few hours or a few weeks or a few days. And at the end of that, food habits actually tend to become, uh, food in general becomes more compelling and the behaviors become more compulsive. And it's in those moments where people really feel like, well, I have to be on a diet or else I'm chaos or I'm mm. in chaos. So it's that very all or nothing mentality again. Whereas if we can establish satisfying meal patterns that honor our health, you know, regularly, we never have to get to that point where we feel powerless. And so I really do feel that feeling full and satisfied from your meals and snacks is your solution. Not feeling full and satisfied is what leads to problematic behaviors that are your problem. Oh, wow. That's great. And, and really, it's, it's a, it seems like a much more natural approach to this uh, and yeah, more innate, more who you are. Oh, for sure. Much more self-directed. Yeah, that's powerful. Give us another one. What, what are some other things we could be uh, engaging um, to honor our health? You know, I think another big one that I will say um, would be, you know, in terms of satisfaction, and, and maybe this is piggy, piggybacking on that, um, to just give a little bit more practical advice, um, would be to think about, start thinking about building balanced meals. So what I would consider a balanced meals would be a carbohydrate, a protein, a fat, and a fruit or a vegetable. Now, if, if you know, someone's been on a diet, typically we cut out one or two of those food groups. You know, mm-hmm. most recently it's carbs, maybe fats. And carbs and fats are really, really, um, uh, uh, you know, really effective at helping us feel satisfied from our meals and snacks. And so if we're cutting them out, we're losing that sustainable energy, the satisfaction, psychological and physiological that comes from eating them as part of balanced meals. And we'll find ourselves, you know, at the end of the day, really feeling compelled towards high-fat carbohydrates. And so, you know, at, in, at this point, you know, typically people ascribe this to like a, a, you know, a matter of willpower, self-control or discipline. But there's, there's definitely um, adaptive responses that come over you physiologically and psychologically when you have felt unsatisfied to make food more, more alluring, more seductive, more compelling. And that's difficult to navigate when you're feeling unsatisfied. So, Building balanced meals regularly, consistently, and adequately during the day will absolutely help you feel more level-headed about food choices. And it's really remarkable to see someone start eating more consistently, regularly, and adequately. And they just enter a more well-fed, well-nourished state of body and mind where food doesn't feel so compelling and behaviors don't feel so compulsive. They're much more level-headed about how much and what to eat because they have felt more satisfied from their meals. Interesting. So that would be a, a practical tip. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense, right? Because you, if you've been neglecting, or not neglecting it, but avoiding it, keeping out of your diet, it's almost like it just keeps poking at the tiger. And then eventually the carb tiger comes out and all of a sudden you're just downing a you know, dozen Twinkies, you know, on a bad day. Yes. On a bad day, Emily. Well, 
Let's take a break, and We'll come back. Emily Fonsbeck joins us. She is a registered dietitian, and she's walking us through an article she wrote on KSL.com, Four Nutrition Tips to Honor Your Health Without Dieting, uh, How to Set an Intention, really, to Eat Until Satisfied, How to Create Balanced Meals So That uh, You're Not Poking the Carb Tiger, uh, which is now what the name we call Jeff Simpson around studio, the Carb Tiger. We'll continue this journey, folks, in healthier eating, healthier living. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. If you've been on the yo-yo diet and then uh, taken the beating to your self-esteem and your identity that that can have on you, not to mention just, uh, you know, gaining back the weight, then uh, our guest today, Emily Fonsbeck, uh, is is here to, to bring some peace to your life. Emily is a registered dietitian who owns her own practice uh, and is practicing in southern Utah. Her nutrition passion lies in helping individuals gain confidence with food without relying on food rules or diets. And uh, really is trying to help us all, I think, understand there are some basic principles you can use instead of a diet. Um, And we appreciate your time, Emily. Thank you again for being with us. Yeah, for sure. My pleasure. So you've taught us that we, we need to really focus a little bit more or a lot more on being satisfied and noticing what we're feeling, full and satisfied, I guess, Um but also one of the things because you know satisfaction those feelings are innate our body knows when to stop when but a lot of times our mind doesn't seem to be engaged you've also taught us to have balanced meals and by having kind of a balanced approach by making sure you get the right amount of carbs protein fats and fruits then your body won't all of a sudden you know have the allure to certain foods and it, it may not it may turn off some of those triggers am i getting that right for sure. Yeah. Restriction breeds chaos. Absolutely. It's a great principle, doesn't it? Isn't it? So yeah. give us uh, some more. What are some other things we should be looking at when it comes to managing and honoring our health without dieting? Well, we talked a little bit about balanced meals, like you said. What I would, and I and alluded to this, but I, I would also recommend those balanced meals to be consistent and regular. And I don't, I don't by any means want this to feel rigid or militant. Then we're just getting, kind of getting back into that diet. Yeah. It, but I, I do think a certain amount of flexible structure we do well on. Um, I think we're actually kind of rhythmic creatures. We, we really like a certain amount of rhythm. Um, actually, you know, just physiologically, our, our blood sugar functions on rhythms. Our digestion is rhythmic. Our sleep patterns are rhythmic. I mean, we're kind of rhythmic creatures, hormones, et cetera. And so there's a certain amount of rhythm to the day um, in terms of food that I think you'll find really helpful. So what that means is to eat more regularly. And I, I would really recommend at least checking in on hunger every three to four hours, maybe five, depending. But what you don't want to do is get overly hungry, because especially as we're trying to break out of this diet mindset and embrace something that feels more flexible and moderate and, and self-directed, um, what we really want to do is build, you know, this, the environment that's more conducive to positive experiences with food. And if you end up overly hungry, um, 
it's it's likely going to be a negative experience. You know, anything sounds good. You'll grab whatever's fastest, and it tends to be really quickly eaten um, with no real, you know, thought to hunger and fullness or satisfaction. So eating regularly can be help you be more proactive about staying on top of hunger and fullness, especially if eating habits have been haphazard, haphazard or chaotic up to this point. Hunger and fullness levels could actually feel somewhat unreliable. And so establishing a little bit more of a rhythm can help those reemerge, which can help you trust them Hmm. better. And is it about every four to five hours that is kind of recommended, or is that just so personal? I think the range of three to five hours catches most people, especially if those meals are well-balanced. You know, a well-balanced meal, like we talked about, should get you three to four hours between meals. Now, if you're headed out the door with just a banana, I wouldn't wouldn't expect that banana give, to give you three or four hours, right? Yeah. I need to be ready for something sooner. Otherwise, you'll get to lunch overly hungry. Um, and then, of course, like I said, chaos tends to ensue. So staying on top of that is going to be better. So three to five hours, I think, catches most people. But yeah, I mean, in, in that range, there's definitely there's flexibility to account for different appetites and and patterns. So really, you're saying about every three to four hours, maybe um, have a balanced-ish meal, three to five hours, a balanced meal. Because um, a lot of times, too, some of the feedback we've heard is, you know, and it's good for your metabolism, just keep the engine burning and just keep um, just keep eating. But I, I always thought of it as like, okay, eat carrots, and then two hours later, eat your protein, and then two hours later, eat your... So instead of doing it all day, you're saying really sit down and have uh, have a meal. Yeah, I, and, and, and to clarify, too, um, three to five hours, if you're going longer than three to five hours between meals, you may just want to add a snack so you don't get okay. overly hungry for the next meal. So not everyone will be eating breakfast and lunch or lunch and dinner three to five hours right. apart, which no big deal, just add a snack between. And yes, I mean, I actually think there's something really powerful about sitting down, yep. paying attention to your meal, feeling satisfied from it, and then pushing away from the table and go living your life for three, four, five hours without feeling preoccupied with food, without having to take another break. Because I think all of us would agree that we have more important things every day to think about than food. And so if we can fuel up in a way that feels really energizing and satisfying and then go live our life. And then when we get hungry again, we come back to the table. That's that's such great advice. And there is something too about being very intentional, thinking about what you're actually feeling in the meal, right? I mean, that might even mean Uh turn your phone off during the meal, connect to the people around you and – I mean, there is something powerful. I mean, it's really about energy, right? But now it's become, I mean, how many of us don't even remember or like just enjoy the taste of what we're eating? We, we don't even yeah. savor it. Right. We, we probably talk and think about food more than we actually spend preparing it and eating it. And I wonder if we flip that, if we'll, we'll think and talk about food less and have more energy for other things, if we really just take time to get rid of those distractions and focus on our food. I mean, we like food. We like eating. That's most what people feel like they, they love food too much. And I, I think really, if you love something, you want to really savor it and enjoy it and pay attention to it and let it be nourishing and satisfying. So you hit, 
I think you hit something so so key there is to get rid of those distractions and, and mindfully eat, really pay attention to it, and you'll be better able to connect with those hunger, fullness, and satisfaction cues as well. What if what if like we feel a little weird because like we're always hungry? Why is it that we're always hungry? What might it be telling us if we are constantly hungry and thinking of food? Yeah. Well, it could be a few things, I will say. I I think um, what I see most common in those I work with is they're just not eating enough. When people, we really, like, culturally, we're kind of sent this message that eating healthy is restrictive eating. And so when we start wanting to eat healthier, we start eating less, and therefore, you know, meals become smaller, snacks mm. become smaller. We cut, start cutting out things. We're not replacing them necessarily with healthier things, we start eating less, and it can leave us feeling hungrier. And so um, we want to make sure that we're still eating adequately in ways that are, you know, like I said, balanced and consistent and regular. So if if you're ending up overly hungry, it may, we may need to look at the size of meals and snacks um, that, you know, are they really giving you that sustainable energy so that you're not, you know, preoccupied with food in between meals. The other thing is, I think is worthwhile bringing up is just that the, the piece on emotional eating. You know, if we're complex creatures with lots of different types of hunger, and, and yes, physical hunger is very real, but, you know, oftentimes we use food as a distraction or as a coping strategy um, when we are actually physically hungry for it. Hmm. Boy. Hey, yeah, no wonder we obsess more about it. We think more about it. It, it comforts us. Um, as we wrap up, Emily, what would you say? I always ask for the one thing, maybe the one thing that uh, immediately kind of centers us and puts us on the right path when it comes to our food. Maybe you've mentioned it already, or is it something we've missed? What is the one thing we could all do today that would uh, that would help us start to start to get ahead on our eating habits? Yeah, that's a it's a good question. And honestly, if I could probably sum it up into one thing that I hope you know, listeners are getting out of this. It's um, just to start to reconnect with yourself. You know, we're so we're so externally motivated with food. I would actually really encourage um, to, to be intentional about even recording hunger and fullness levels before and after a meal to start reconnecting if you feel that would be helpful um, to focus on satisfaction and to let that kind of be the guide for your eating habits. What that means also is kind of rejecting the idea that a diet will be effective for you, which I hope we've been clear on. Like yeah. It's just very futile. And so we really have to kind of, uh, you know, let that go and really embrace this idea of, you know, trusting ourselves with food. That's difficult, sometimes even difficult to do on your own, which you may need the help of a nutrition professional to do so. Um, I will say a really great resource on, on some of the principles we've talked about today if anything's resonated, is um, the book called Intuitive Eating. It's a great resource that can really uh, talk more to some of the points we've made. Good stuff. Emily Fonsbeck is her name. The website, emilyfonsbeck.com, is a, is a great resource where you can go um, follow her blog, follow the information that Emily puts out, so you, you know better uh, how to continue with the lessons she's been teaching us. Um, boy, I'm telling you, it is, it's so basic, isn't it? And yet... Everybody's got their approach, and what I found is most approaches just include these principles that Emily's been teaching us, right? It's it's about 
uh, paying attention, being a mindful eater, using your body the way it was meant and created to be used just brings power to your life and, and some control. And then in the end, you get results that make you feel better and you can do it again tomorrow. It's something that's sustainable. There's power in them, their rules and principles. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping uh, you uh, as a guide on the side as you make it through this crazy thing we call life. We'll be back in just a minute uh, to continue the journey. So much to learn and so little time to learn it. But uh, let's get to the empty news headlines. More of those uh, Jeff Simpson spends all day chasing the news. Oh, yeah. And this is a good one since we just talked about health. Uh, and we often will have stories about things spilling out of trucks on the freeway yeah. and messes everywhere. This one will probably make you salivate. Ooh, perfect. Because imagine you're driving down the freeway. A delivery truck crashes and out spills DiGiorno pizza. (laughs) Yes! It happened in Arkansas. Arkansas highway officials shut down westbound lanes of a cross-country interstate for four hours. Oh, boy. So crews could pick up and probably eat the pizza. Mm -hmm. An 18-wheeler containing DiGiorno and tombstone frozen pizzas scraped a bridge support and sliced open its trailer spilling them across Interstate 30 in front of the Arkansas Department of Transportation office. <laughs> and you know, at the Arkansas DOT, they're just aching. They've got a hankering yeah. for that pizza. Party! Agency spokesman Danny Strassel said the bridge had only cosmetic damage. I-30 was closed for a time in both directions while crews picked up the DiGiorno and Tombstone brand pies. Who cares about the bridge? Yeah. Are the what pizzas, about, what are about the pizzas the okay? As long as the pizzas are okay. <laughs> Somebody find an oven, quick. Yeah, you keep bringing up the bridge like that matters. There's free pizza. That's how they talk in Arkansas, by the way. <laughs> it sounds a little bit more like New Jersey. Yeah. That's the that's the uh, New Jersey contingent of so uh, from Arkansas. if it was a pineapple pizza, yes. I'd probably just let it lie. No. But if it was a pepperoni and sausage pizza. I think if it's free pizza, even if it's. I would just peel off the pineapple. You're right. It's, even if it's vegetarian, just get what you can and take some home for the kids. Grab you gotta, some for the neighbors. You got to know people were out of their cars grabbing as many as they could, yeah. right? Is that restaurant pizza? No, it's DiGiorno. <laughs> Excellent. How? What a great day that would be. Oh, yeah. And the cops are like, hey, just put it in your truck and get it out of here. You guys can each have – take a pie home to everybody. I'll turn my back for five seconds, however many pizzas you can grab in that oh, time. Oh, but you know somebody was like using a shovel, oh, a yeah. backhoe or whatever to And that was just to put it in their mouth. And no, people need to know how to pace themselves. Okay, thanks for the news update, Jeff. And uh, we'll continue giving you uh, the insight, some of the news you didn't even know you needed to know. But there's free pizza in Arkansas if you want to uh, get there. Better hurry. We will continue the journey. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio.
This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends, and I hope all is well as you travel in your journey of life. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, along with Jeffrey Liam Simpson and uh, Terry South. We are the gang, the crew, you know, dedicated to uh, helping you through this crazy thing we call life. Our goal is to help you live longer, love stronger, and lead healthier, happier lives. This hour, no exception, we got it locked and loaded for you. We will be revisiting an interview we did um, about uh, how to be more creative and um and without like losing your productivity, but you know, you might need a little bit, uh, you might need to, you might need to like do things that the boss might think is crazy, like meditate for heaven's sakes. How do you stay productive by actually being a little more creative in how you're, you approach your day? So if all of a sudden I wanted to take a nap. Is that code for watching YouTube? Yeah. Because that's what I tend to do sometimes. Yeah, YouTube totally helps me perform better right. in the busy work. I call it research. Yeah. Well, but like, have you ever noticed that you just sometimes, it just helps to have YouTube on while you're going through the news? Oh, yeah. Because a lot of our job is about the news. Mm. You ever notice that? Occasionally. But like, you, like you'd say at night, you'll just watch a show, whatever show's on, and then, yep. and then you'll actually sort through all the chaos of news. Yes. Because just to get really focused on news, it kind of bites. Yes, it does. <laughs> it's really There's negative. A lot of I don't negative know if you've noticed it. It's negative. Yeah. That's why I have you read the news because it just, I don't know, it makes my stomach sick. Sometimes. And there's a lot I avoid too. Yeah. There's no. a lot I go, eh, not tomorrow. Yeah, I don't, don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. One, one of my right, favorite yeah. comedians says the news should just be called What's Wrong? Here's, what, here's what's wrong at 6 o'clock. <laughs> yeah. Here's the pain of life. Yep. Exactly. So uh, we'll be talking about how, how to get more creative and less productive. And yet, in reality, you'll be more productive. Ooh. It's, it's a little mind of, twist It's a little there. twist. It's nice. a great interview um, that we had on a few months ago. We'll get to that. Also, we got to visit our good brother in at BYU Sports Nation. Crazy trade in the pros. Yep. Uh, Kyrie Irving leaves the Cavs. And uh, Isaiah Thomas leaves the Celtics to go to the Cavs. Kyrie ends up with the Celtics. It is chaos. I want to hear what they think. Was it a good move? And who's going to benefit the most? We'll get into that fun with BYU Sports Nation. We will also, of course, hear the headlines, both the empty news and the um, the what's wrong news. The the (laughs) pain. The pain news. Let's get to the what's wrong news, but maybe also what's interesting. Headlines with Terry South. The U.S. Treasury Department announced new sanctions against 10 Russian and Chinese entities and six individuals Tuesday in an attempt to pressure North Korea to back off its nuclear program, CNBC reports. The sanctions are aimed at entities and people who help those dealing in the North Korean energy trade and missile program. In the past, the U.S. has tried to use economic pressures from China to curb the rogue country's behavior. Earlier this month, President Trump warned that he would respond to North Korean threats with fire and fury. U.S. officials are hoping to avoid military action and want to continue using diplomatic efforts to get China to cooperate in pressuring North Korea to knock it off. Fire and fury! That was before we shut down the Pacific Fleet. Yes. 
So maybe it was, it was maybe only it was only Fury for, now. It was only for a day. Okay, yeah. They just reviewed protocols, yeah. make they, sure everyone knows how to drive the boats. Well, I mean, that, I did not realize there were four accidents with that crew. I mean, yeah. that's a big deal. The, anyway. other, there were, the two other ones didn't have loss of life, so they didn't really make the news. Yeah, but as you, much as the uh, the two we've heard of. So imagine you in your in your home yeah. having four accidents in yeah. one month. You know, you're going to say, "Okay, we're shutting down operations." Right. We need to figure out. Driver's Ed. Let's yeah. start over. Yeah. Uh, police say a Confederate soldier statue at a cemetery in Ohio has been damaged by vandals who took its head. Ooh. Columbus police say vandals appeared to have climbed up an arched memorial at a Camp Chase Confederate cemetery, toppled the statue uh, of uh, the monument to the ground. The AP reports the soldier's head and hat were knocked off. Police say the vandals took the head but left the hat. <laughs> police say the vandalism occurred early Tuesday and were around two th- oh, there's around 2,000 cemet- er, uh, soldiers buried in that cemetery. Wow. So, and, and somebody somebody beheaded a They took out the statue, statue but left, left the, the hat. hat. Yeah, so. What's with the hat? I'm not sure. There's something probably about the hat. Maybe it's a dated look. Yeah. Uh, getting fired is a traumatic experience. To lessen the blow, most bosses prefer letting employees go through face-to-face conversation. Yet it may come as a surprise that some employees would rather be fired via text or instant message, especially <laughs> those who are younger. A survey of 1,154 working adults from software uh, company Cyberlink showed that 1 in 13 workers would prefer to be fired over text or instant message instead of having the conversation in person. Wow. For millennial employees, the number increased to one in eight workers. Because millennials are heavy users of social media and the digital space, they feel more comfortable conveying feelings in a short and succinct way, the people who conducted the survey say. (laughs) On the other hand, nearly half of all respondents for both groups say their top communication pain point is that it's easy to misinterpret the tone of emails, texts, and instant messages. Yeah. I lost my job. Was this Do a you joke? Think Trump has fired people that way. Oh, no. that's I Call think that's up. how. If yeah, I had Comey got it that way. <laughs> no, he found out on the yeah, he was on, he the found out on the news. He, Through a text, probably. He, he was at a he was giving a speech in, to the FBI in Los Angeles, and it was on a TV in the back of the room. And somebody walked up to him and said, oh, "Hey, by the way, how did you weird see this? that? Did you see that you just got fired? That was a great speech, though. By the Good way, job. I love that speech. Motivational. Totally incredible. I have new food. Ah." <gasps> What? Both from uh, hold on, Jeff. Are you still on your diet, Jeff? I can still listen. Okay, just both, listen. That's all you can do. Both from Taco Bell. Mm. One mm. is called the. Uh, it's it's bolstering their naked menu of of, of food menu. Hold on, they have a naked food naked menu? food menu. So the naked egg taco. Ew. It was tested in Flint, Michigan. Features an egg taco shell, and it's filled with crispy potatoes, bacon, or sausage and cheese. Customers can order the breakfast item with a gordita flatbread to cover up the <laughs> egg if they choose. What? So basically, what it is, you have an egg, yeah, and they just fry it up, and then you fold it and fill it up, and that's your naked egg taco. Sounds fantastic. Problem is, mm. the egg is greasy because it's an egg, and so yeah, it gets get on a, your hands. Let's so get you, a gordita on that thing. Yeah, let's cover get, it up. You can get a little bread, so you can have a little bread taco gordita. Do you guys know what a let's, gordita let's is? Let's be modest. I can't hear the word gordita. A gordita is a female little fat woman. <laughs> so in Argentina, in anywhere where they speak Spanish, if they call you gordita, they're saying, hey, little fat lady. So, Taco Bell. So, it's already an oxymoron. You can have a naked egg and a little fat lady. Taco Bell is at a strong track record with these limited-time offers. Yeah. It's previous developed with chicken, waffle, and biscuit shells. A, a Taco Bell chief food innovator said the shell innovation is at the core 
of where we experiment. Shell innovation. Which doesn't make any sense since I have this other story. Okay. There are four Taco Bells in Orange County. Is that it? I'm and, from Orange uh, well, County. Well, no, there's four specific ones. Oh, okay. So, uh, <laughs> sorry. I swear there were more. Jeff's been to every one of them, all the, 12 of them. They're testing a new dish designed to tickle your tongue, confuse your palate, and bring back memories of your childhood. That's a big Whoa. order. Sounds like ratatouille. Taco Bell <laughs> is featuring the firecracker burrito. It starts like any other ground beef, warm rice, nacho cheese, sour cream, spicy sauce, crunchy red chips. Bam! That's how they make their burrito. Yeah. But inside the red tortilla shell, uh, Taco Bell customers are supposed to sprinkle the secret ingredient, peppery version of what tastes and acts like Pop Rocks. What? So kind of a hot, caliente Kind of a spicy Pop, pop rock. rock in your burrito. Hmm. They're a packet of little pebbles that sizzle and snap in your mouth if you're not aware what those, those are. Those aren't Pop Rocks. So far, sales of the Firecracker Burrito limited to four Taco Bells, one in Orange County, one uh, two in Santa Ana, and one in Anaheim. Hmm. Where I'm uh, from. In October, the channel tested in Toledo. So if you want to go to Toledo, this would be like the eclipse. Toledo, Ohio? Yeah. Wow. Holy Toledo. They're calling it the, uh, there's two flavors. There's popping cheesy and popping spicy. Is there popping hip? No. Okay. So. Pop and lock? Could be. How about pop and drop? So you got pop rocks <laughs> in your burrito. <laughs> More likely that's what it's going to yeah. be. What do you think, Matt? Pop rocks? No. Does that help the burrito? No. I think, no, this is too gimmicky. Mm. You know what I mean? What it's, are they trying to do to us? It's, it's like they're trying to make us eat a lot of fast food. Are they making us pay for a practical joke? Yeah. It seems like something you would do as a practical We're joke. We're going to play a prank on you, and you have to pay for it. Who pays for your stomach to be pumped <laughs> when the Pop Rocks don't pop? We'll just you go with you. Batch. We'll just go with you so you can do that. Yeah. I'll do it. By the way, my gallbladder could take that. What you should try is do like the, the cola with the Mentos Ooh. and Pop Rocks. There you go. You mean these Pop Rocks? Yeah, just take some Pop Rocks so you get that popping uh, sensation. Yeah. Then you get the Mentos and Cola explosion happening. That like would literally clear your sinuses yeah, right it there. Would, it would come out your nose, yes. I think it would clear everything. <laughs> Is that – would that kill you? Yeah. You think so? I'm pretty sure. There's just too much die. explosive power I think power I saw happening. that on YouTube. Somebody okay. died on I might that. have to resort to that at the end of my diet. Well, I'm excited for the, the final push. The final push we're calling it when uh, that's in one week. In one week, September we, you'll 6th. have one more week. In, well, it's two weeks, but we I know, but, is it, but in one week we'll do the final push. Okay, and I really want to be a part of that. <laughs> like seriously, like because I've got this thing with a hose and a bucket, and I can pretty much guarantee to get you to lose. Wow, about two pounds, two and a half pounds. Should Just we get, give me a hose and a bucket? That's all I need. Should we get Palakiko to head up the cleanup crew? Yeah. Okay. No, we'll do it in a stable out by It's like my in, the, house. in the fall when you clean out the gutters. <laughs> yeah. Same thing. That's exactly right. Yeah. We'll just call it cleaning out the gutters. Cleaning out the gutters with Jeff Simpson. And we're, we are going to get some great audio for it because we don't want the listeners to, to not be a part of it. Well, they thank you. We've, we've all been on the journey with you to this 8.4 pounds that you're trying to lose. And, thank you. And <laughs> – and a little uh, – just a sad note, I think I, – I don't know that anybody this hour – I don't think we've mentioned it. Jeff did gain a tenth of a pound. Oof. But he's he's blaming it on – Character um, weakness? Lack of fortitude? No. Oh. Milk duds. He, <laughs> they are tempting. He went a little bit over on the milk dud dosing. 
He's sad. No, more than likely it was the Del Taco from the other night. That's right. Mm. That's right. Yeah, see, that's why you eat at Taco Bell because with Taco Bell hot pocket rocks. <laughs> pop rocks. Pop rock. Uh, pop, dropping pop rocks, then you you wouldn't have gained that weight. It was interesting. They, they didn't get the sponsorship of pop rocks. I'm sure. You know? It's going to be fleeting. Like Google just released a new uh, Android operating system. It's called Oreo. Mm-hmm. Mm, really? They name each one after candy. There was a Kit Kat. There was ice oh, cream. Yeah. Oreo. It's O. They go by each letter of the alphabet, so it's O. They had nougat for in. Well, really? I think Mom Rocks is available if Pop Rocks is taken. Uh, doesn't sound as good. No. <laughs> Sounds like it would be naggy. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like it would make you clean your room. Thanks, Mom. Don't put this on your burrito. <laughs> Did you hear about this uh, elephant that went out of its way to um, rescue people from the floods? Really? Yeah. I mean, elephant. What a pleasant pachyderm. Where was it? It was in India. And the video shows uh, people wading through these deadly storm uh, floods. And now my my blocker just done blocked it again. Hmm. Um, but it, apparently... There uh, reported that over 250 people were killed in this flooding in um, Sierra Leone. Was it? In, this was in India. I that was in India. Okay, yeah. they, the whole I think the region has had some. Yeah, uh, uh, and I, I've really got a great ad blocker on, and it keeps it's working so well. It's really an incredible blocker. But apparently, um, these elephants started helping people get through the water. So they could put, you know, 10, 15 people on their back and uh-huh. carry them to safety. Hmm. And you remember we saw those elephants that were swimming in the ocean. Yeah, they were swimming out to like sea. Miles out to sea. Yeah, and they turned them around. Accidentally. They were just, you know, they, were, they took the wrong yeah. cruise. Left in Albuquerque, yeah. Don't you hate it when you're an elephant and you fall off the cruise? <laughs> they, were, they were doing a Noah's Ark reenactment. Right. Lost an elephant. But now these, these elephants are saving lives in India. Hmm. That's, you know, how many times in the South do we see flooding? No elephants. Nope. Nothing. All the animals, totally gone. Just, no, one, no one's trying to help at all. Just possum floating feet up. <laughs> then there's that raccoon that swims wide with, uh, <laughs> what were we talking about? What was the disease? The plague? Oh, the plague. The plague. So yeah. the raccoon with the plague that swims by? Yeah. See, luckily there won't be a flood in Phoenix. That, I mean, a flood big enough to get it to oh, anywhere else in the world. Yeah. It'll just get it to another part of Phoenix. Keep the fl- keep the plague in Phoenix. Is that your your suggestion for this? Well, yeah. What about the people in Phoenix? Well, no, yeah, but flush it out, right? But oh, they should work on it, but keep it contained. Yeah. So, would you rather have the plague or one of these new Taco Bell Pop Rocks burritos? Oh, that's a hard one. Mm. A tasty, warm hmm. nacho cheese covered burrito with Pop Rocks. Yeah. Is there going to be? Uh, is there going to be like a churro or a yeah. – um, sides. An empanada. To like, like wash a, it down. They probably uh-huh. have some spicy tater tots or something. Ooh, okay. I'll probably go with that. Really? Yeah. With the plague, you I don't could know. probably catch up on your Netflix though. Yeah. There would be that outpouring of sympathy. <laughs> the, I don't know. There's something about the plague. I can't put my finger on it, <laughs> but there's something about it that just kind of freaks me out. Hmm. Maybe just the name. It's treatable. That's what they always say. No, it is. I mean, we have the ability to treat such a thing. It's in the past they didn't have that. Yeah, but imagine. That lack of, you know. 
This isn't. It's not like a cold where you go to a party and everyone's like, "Man, you've had that cold for a while." What happens yeah. when you go to a party? Oh, and yeah. They say, what do the doctors say? There's social yeah. stigma attached. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's a plague. But as yeah. you said, it's treatable. Whereas yeah. the idiocy associated with eating a Pop Rocks burrito not as treatable. What? Do, what do you mean? But this too shall pass, right? <laughs> well, it's a momentary in one way situation. or another. It's a yes. momentary situation. Wow. The plague might have some lasting effects. Well, plus you'll always be. Yeah, that's the lady with the plague. Yeah, you're that person. You may have to move, change your name. How did you get the plague? You do not want to know. There was this raccoon. Floating in the river. Do you remember the river when the river rose? Now, what if you got the plague from eating one of those Pop Rocks burritos? Now you're mixing stories. Once you mix the stories, it won't work. Jeffrey, we love Taco Bell. I was about to call it another Lots of show content out of them. We honestly lots of food that none of us ever eat, and and we're willing to test anything for Taco Bell, as long as it's free or paid for. Yeah. Well, it's always in like Toledo, Ohio. So how are we going to get there? I'll go to Toledo. I'll fly to Toledo. Well, if you fly out there to give one of your yeah, your, your rousing might, motivational I might be going speeches out there again to Columbus, pick us up a couple of those, toss them in the suitcase, bring yeah. them on back. It's jam packed with so many preservatives anyway. It'll make the trip. Yeah, absolutely. Totally. Man, life is good. Life is good. Okay. Good team. Good time. Now let's move on to uh, how to be more creative and productive while we're at it. Uh, We'll be uh, revisiting an interview on your creativity, and maybe you got to break a few rules to get there. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Have you ever noticed that creativity is one of the most valuable qualities that we we would hope for in one of our employees, but productivity is the one we tend to measure the most in uh, workplace? So sometimes it seems that these two qualities might clash, even though managers are actually looking for both. Our next guest um, is a we're replaying an interview with uh, Dr. Art Markman. He's the director of human dimensions of organizations at the University of Texas and is a member of the editorial board of cognitive psychology. He joined the show uh, recently to discuss his article to get more creative, become less productive. I begin the interview by asking, why is there a high level of tension in business between creativity and productivity? There are two elements to this that matter. The first is just that the creative process itself is inherently unpredictable. So the the problem with creativity is if you think about the things you have to do, you have to learn a lot, you have to explore new possibilities, you have to follow your way down different rabbit holes in order to try different prospects. The, the problem is that, that at any given moment, you, you may not have actually come up with anything that's really a good idea yet. Yeah. And, so, and so unlike typical product, product management where, you know, I have all these benchmarks, I'm going to reach this milestone by this date, this milestone by this date, this milestone by this date. With creativity, hey, you know, you could go weeks without actually having a great idea. At that point, it's hard to tell the difference between you and somebody who's not doing anything at all in terms That's of true. overall productivity. That's true. I mean, and really, you may only need to be super creative two or three, four times a year 
And then yeah. you've got to go deliver on the creativity. So, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, that it, it is – I didn't realize – I didn't sense it as something that was so unpredictable. And what makes the best creativity, you know, is it just lounging around or is it being overstimulated, you know? Well, and you know, you need to have some downtime. I mean, it's, you know, part of the problem is if I'm constantly under the gun to produce right now, then I'm constantly having to use what comes to mind first to solve whatever problems are in front of me. And if you think about some of your most creative moments, they often happen when you've walked away from your work for a while. Yeah. You know, there's, there's a reason why people will report having a great idea while they were standing in the shower or out for a walk. You know, and, and, and the thing is, if, if I need to be chained to my desk 9, 10, 11 hours a day to, in order to get things done, when is that time going to come for me to step away from the hubbub of, of daily life and actually allow myself to explore new possibilities? And again, I, I don't know that we're yet there where a company so appreciates the idea that you say, you know what, I'm going to go for my creative walk now. Yeah. <laughs> and you walk yeah. out of the building and they look at you like, that guy's yeah. going to get fired. Where, where do you think you're going? <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's right. And, and one of the things that's really important in this to recognize is that the companies that do this well recognize that you can't have everybody producing for every single moment that they're at work if they're going to be creative. And that actually requires having more people around in the workplace than, strictly speaking, you need to do the work that needs to be done today. So a lot of people, for example, will point to Google and say, well, they have this idea of 20% time that they encourage their employees to spend 20% of their time in these creative pursuits. But the hidden part of that is in order for Google to be able to give people extra time to work on these other projects, they need to have extra people around because there's still a certain amount of work that needs to be done. And most companies are lean and mean. They want to have exactly the number of people they need to do the tasks at hand rather than saying, you know what, we're going to overhire a little bit and that will give many of our employees an opportunity to engage in these more creative aspects of their work. Right. I mean, it, yeah, it's I guess they, they, these companies have got a number for how much each person should be able to to create or to deliver on, and yet the number, so the number doesn't actually foster creativity. That's right. That's right. They have to they have to take that number and then add a percentage. Yeah. And say you know what we're gonna we're gonna give our you know everyone or or some of our people uh, an opportunity to spend some amount of their time doing things that aren't productive today, but they're gonna pay off tomorrow. Is it? Uh, um, I guess it's really the manager's job, right? It's the leader's job to be able to discern the the balance between you know creativity and productivity or is it the employees or both well i i think managers really set the tone in by by determining what the the hr strategy is going to be that is how many people are you going to hire it's they're also going to set that tone by determining what you reward you know if you're consistently rewarding your best producers what you're telling everybody else is forget all that creativity stuff. Just, you know, get on the phone or do whatever it is you need to do to create billable moments today. But if you consistently reward those people who are trying to do something innovative, 
then you're sending a signal to people that productivity is important, but it's also important to, to get beyond what it is we do on a daily basis today in order to transform what we're going to be doing tomorrow. Yeah, some are just so trying to stay alive, right? That they, yeah. They're using all their best ingenuity, their best thinking, their best um, energy. I guess that's part of this, huh? It, is, you only have so much energy. That's right. That's and, exactly right. And is, is it like willpower? Have you studied this art about willpower is kind of a diminishing return? You've only got so much willpower every day. And once you've kind of been making a lot of decisions, you're losing that energy. Yeah, that's right. And, and so, you know, if you think about it, a lot of these, these processes, the ability to make decisions, the ability to stop yourself from doing the wrong thing, and the ability to explore lots of different options, you know, all of those involve those frontal lobes of the brain. And, you know, you, there's a limited amount of real concerted effort that you can engage in, after which you find people sitting at their desk doing what I affectionately call fake work. <laughs> Looking you know. busy, looking busy. Yeah, I'm looking busy. I'm Googling things at random, but I'm yeah. not really getting anything done anymore. And, you know, at that point, I tell people, you know what, get up, take a walk, go out, do something else, and, and then come back when you're, when, you, when you're refreshed. But, yeah, I think, I think management has a tremendous amount to do with that because they really, they really tell you what, what is it that we value in this organization, not through the words, but through what, they, what, what they're doing, and most importantly, what it is that they're rewarding everybody else for doing in the organization. Is, um, do you sense we are, are adapting in business today? I mean, it's, we might be using, I don't know, even 20th century, even maybe 19th century paradigms to try to run a business today when um, you know, we need a much more dynamic concept of, of life and creativity, don't we? I think so. I think what we need is a much more human-centered ver- uh, view of what we're doing in business. So if you think about it, a lot of the business practices that we use on a daily basis are ones that we carried over from uh, from uh, manufacturing. Right. You know, and because the thing is, when you had a manufacturing plant, you could determine exactly what level of productivity you should expect to get and, and any manager who couldn't maximize the productivity of that factory didn't deserve to be running that factory. But the fact is we don't have the same level of understanding in most businesses of the way that people operate to really be able to figure out how do I maximize what I'm getting out of my employees, not just in terms of number of widgets produced or sold, but in terms of the ideas that we create, the, the ability to develop relationships that will ultimately lead to sales or perhaps collaborative ideas. And until we get that kind of people expertise into our organizations, we're going to have a very hard time managing those difficult elements of business, particularly things like creativity. Mm, Good stuff. Let's take a break. We're speaking with Dr. Art Markman. He is the director of the Human Dimensions of Organizations program at the University of Texas, also the host of the NPR radio show and podcast, Two Guys on Your Head. He's written several books. Um, One is Smart Change, Five Tools to Create uh, uh, New and, got to see the whole name here, um, to create uh, new and sustainable habits in yourself and others. Take a break, folks. We'll be back more with Dr. Art Markman. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you lead healthier, happier lives. Stick with us.
Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. On the phone with us is Dr. Art Markman, who uh, is the director of the Human Dimensions of Organizations at the University of Texas. He's a member of the editorial board of Cognitive Psychology and is here to discuss an article to get more creative, become less productive. Dr. Art Markman, welcome back, my friend. Oh, thanks so much. This is, uh, to me, such an important topic that because uh, I'm a creative soul and I could work forever, but you've got to measure creativity. And I guess we don't measure creativity, do we? We just measure it as an outcome. How many you know widgets or whatever did I produce? Yeah, yeah. And I think that one of the things that we don't do is to really measure, are people engaged in procedures on a daily basis that will lead to creativity in the long run? So, for example, one of the things that's really crucial for creativity is knowing a lot about a lot of different things. So it turns out one of the things that we often want people to do is to focus on learning things that are going to matter for them today. Mm. You know, let me learn a new procedure that's going to help me to do my work tomorrow. Right. The thing about really creative people, though, is that they often know a bunch of stuff that it wasn't obvious when they learned it how it was going to be important. But then later they realized, oh, I could adapt a solution or a procedure that somebody used in a very different business or in a very different area of work altogether, I could adapt that to what I'm trying to do right now. And those analogies where they take knowledge from one place and plop it down into another, that turns out to be an incredibly powerful aspect of creativity. But what that means is that the most creative people need to be continually expanding their knowledge about things that aren't obviously relevant to the work that they're doing today. And most companies don't reward that. Right. They want, you know, and in fact, if you think about the kind of corporate training that we create for people, it's often focused on what can I teach you that's going to help you to do a better job tomorrow, as opposed to let me give you some experiences that might pay off years down the line because you're going to take this knowledge you had and and now use it for uh, something that we couldn't even foresee today. That is so true. Like, yeah, hey, yeah, if everybody wants to go, we'll go do a little excursion as a team and we'll do leadership skills. But it might be just as important to take them to a museum. Yeah, exactly. Or or to, to give people the opportunity to to bring a book to work and to spend an hour uh, you know, during the day, reading something that they're interested in that doesn't really have any clear relevance to what we're working on today, just so that if different people are looking at different things, over time we're expanding the overall base of knowledge that we have among the employees that we're working with. Holy cow. And yet so many are so stuck. They've been coding their whole life. They've only read about coding. They only know about coding or whatever. Yeah. Interesting. What What are some other tricks to uh, to maybe you know push up the creativity level in our organization or in ourselves? Yeah, I think another thing we need to do is to allow ourselves to have conversations with with people who aren't the usual suspects, right? So you know, the, another thing that happens in our organizations all the time is that after they get more than about fifty people in them, they start siloing. Yeah. And so now what happens is you come to work and you see the same eight or nine people every day. And I think it's important for organizations to, to create opportunities for people to get together from, from other parts of the organization, whether it's uh, having a little happy hour or a lunchtime talk or, or something that allows them to spread that information across the, 
the organization so that people begin to realize, hey, you know what, I know something that might help you to do what you're doing a little bit better, rather than just focusing on, hey, let's, you know, let's focus on, on what can we do today that's going to, uh, you know, th- th- that's going to make us more productive. Right. It seems like, too, just the fear of failure may be, you know, putting a little wet blanket on top of creativity. Sure, absolutely. You know, the thing about an execution mindset in most organizations is that we want to do uh, the things that we do repeatedly and reliably. And, and that's really the mindset that we bring to most of the work that we do. Unfortunately, with creativity, what we need to do is to try stuff, recognizing that some number of the things we try are going to fail, they're going to be mistakes, and that those mistakes are learning experiences and not signs that we're doing it wrong. And I think one of the ways that organizations have to change their reward structure is that we often, we often punish people for failing. Right. And I think that one of the things we need to do is to punish people for negligence, right? So if somebody falls down on the job, somebody really doesn't, doesn't do their due diligence, well, that's a punishable offense. But really, we want to reward failure. So we punish negligence, mm. but not failure. You know, in fact, I tell a lot of companies that I've done work with that once a year, they ought to celebrate their most spectacular failure. <laughs> the big not burnout. in cheek way, yeah. but really to hold that up and to say, you know what, here's somebody who swung for the fences. And they whiffed, but they learned a lot from it. Yeah. And it's this kind of behavior that in the long run leads to real success in innovation and creation. Wow. I mean, how... Like a really to to have an award given, and then the story and the lessons. I mean, and then I guess the consequences. If you whiff that bad, what did you learn? And then share yeah. the learnings. Right, and you know the thing we know about creativity is that the people who have the most good ideas are the ones who have the most ideas. Yeah. Right now, some of those ideas are going to be lousy, you know. And if you were to run through the song catalog of your favorite artist you'll discover that for every brilliant piece of music that they churned out, there's a couple of clunkers in there, too. Mm-hmm. But, but what made them creative was that willingness to just try things and then to discover, yeah, this didn't work so well, but all right, I'm going to move on to the next thing with the lessons in hand from what I took away mm. from what didn't work well. And I think every successful creative person has a whole list of their failures, that that are part of what made them who they were as a creative individual. Yeah. Oh, powerful. I mean, I, I agree. And and maybe to I mean, everyone's got a role to play, right? And um, maybe seeing that some I mean, everyone can be creative, but some people like sometimes you need the cynic in the room or the sarcastic one hmm. to spark the right person. So I guess two part of the job is get the right mix. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and and one of the personality characteristics that becomes really important here, there's two of them that matter. One of which is is for creative people, this idea of openness to experience, that willingness to try something new and not to poo-poo it just because it's a new thing. But you also need a certain number of really disagreeable people in your organization. (laughs) Those disagreeable people, they're the the critics. They're the ones who are willing to say, you know what, Um, I I know you're really excited about this idea, but before we rush to market with this thing, here are five things we need to take care of. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and having that mix of people who are pulling in both directions, people who are really out there saying, we could try this, this crazy new thing, and then other people who are pulling it back and trying to bring you back down to earth and say, well, sure, we could try that, 
but you know let's let's really think through the details of this before we we just you know launch ourselves into space you bet man great stuff dr art markman thank you so much for being with us Oh, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. You bet. Wonderful insight on creativity and productivity. Um, Go check out his book, Smart Change, Five Tools to Create New and Sustainable Habits in Yourself and Others. And uh, we'll continue to uh, bring you the latest and greatest from thinkers like Dr. Art Markman. We'll take a break. When we come back, our good buddies from BYU Sports Nation will be with us. We'll be finding out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. Stick with us, folks. We'll be right back. Yes, friends, it is that time when we get to uh, shoot it down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation, Spencer and Jerem. And we're going to find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, Matthew. How you guys doing? Good. We're a little distracted because a brand new Lego video just came out featuring Beck to Harleen. Whoa. 2006. Really? And BYU Sports Nation. Wow. It's a cameo We're in, in the Lego video. So the guy that makes these, his name's Jared Jacobs, at Gold Yeller. He's a dude who is LDS. He's a Boise State fan. He's, he's BYU, he, he likes BYU, but I wouldn't say he's a BYU fan. He yeah. has monetized his ability yeah. to recreate these amazing sports moments yeah. with Legos into a very well-paying job with the PGA Tour, the NFL, the Big Ten. Like, he's... He's found a very unique niche. So he's released this new video, and there's a part in it where it cuts to the crowd. And he told <laughs> us that Spencer, Ben, our producer, and I are in the crowd. Oh, and we wow. Fa- we found us. Did you? Yeah. yeah. Did you just fun- so we're like, oh, this is awesome, man. <laughs> did you capture it? Did you put it out on, uh, we did you tweet it out? it on the Twitter sphere. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's, uh, I'm looking it up We'll right also now. play the video and point it out during the show today. Oh, well, excellent. I mean, yeah. because, yeah, it's just a little, you know, promotion, self-promotion, really. Not to be rude, but, you know, it is Solid. what it is. Totally. Shameless plugs. Totally. I mean, but who doesn't love a good shameless plug? Right. That's why we like listening to the Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Talk about good. <laughs> now back to you guys. Hey, okay. Kyrie Irving. Huge What trade, do you think? Right? Isaiah Conference Thomas. got a little more interesting. Brigham now, Young graduate Daniel R. Ainge, the general manager of the Celtics, <laughs> pulls the trade off. Finally, yeah. He's had all these assets. Right. People have been like, when are you going to do something? And he did it. And he did it, which makes the Celtics a huge contender in the East, if not the front runner. although I wouldn't bet against LeBron James. No, never do then, that. Then, uh, But Cleveland also gets better for when LeBron James goes to the Lakers next year. Oh, yeah. After this season. Do you think he's going to the Lakers? That's what it seems like. Why do you not want to go to LA? He's not going to be in Cleveland, I'll tell you that. Oh, but it's his it hometown. He's going to let him down again. Oh, he, he won them a title. Down. No, it's they, over. They won the championship. That's true, huh? It is forever. Over. For, they are forever grateful to him. But isn't he supposed to just age out there, you know, go age to a retirement out. center? He's got three or four more years Be of his done. prime left. That's so true. How old is LeBron? Isn't he like he's 32? Yeah, he's younger than I am. Yeah. But don't you think he plays like a 32-year-old? Plays like a 22-year-old. Well, not if you watch his training regime video that was put out yesterday <laughs> of him running up and down the court dunking on each end of the court for like he's, five minutes straight. He's unbelievable. Like, 
I'm, we're old enough, luckily, to have seen Jordan as well. Like, we look young, but we saw Jordan in his heyday. We've seen LeBron in his heyday. I, I feel lucky that I get to watch LeBron James play basketball. I really do. Oh, yeah. Tom Brady in football. Like, these are all-time guys. You guys get to, Plus, you guys get to just hang out with each other, which I'm so jealous of because just the fun you have. Because you don't have friends? Well, you, ha- you have Jeff and Terry. I know, but we fight a lot. <laughs> oh. Okay. Mostly off-air stuff. Yeah. Well, on the air, you got to act like it's And those two always go together. They, they go everywhere together. Mm. They talk about movies and yeah. play know. computer games, video games. I don't know. It's just sad. It's just kind yeah. of lonely. I feel like we should play. Jeff, do you have any like sad piano music you could play right now? Yeah. We? He's ignoring me. <laughs> it doesn't matter. There it is. This is too hard. <sighs> I want to talk, but I don't have anything to say. <laughs> hey, um, what do you guys think? Uh, who's so you think that the Celtics are going to have the advantage? Did they come out ahead in this deal? Uh, I think in, immediately, in the immediate future, yes, yes. But in the long term, maybe, Cleveland, maybe not, because uh, Cleveland got an unprotected draft pick from the Nets, and the Nets stink. That's right. So that's going to be a top five Probably. pick. Wow. Um, so that's going to help Cleveland get better. Cleveland, this is great for Cleveland. They should celebrate. Yeah, because because yeah. they got a they got two starters from the Celtics plus an unprotected. It pick. was an ugly situation with Kyrie Irving wanting to leave, and now all of a sudden it has been spun for the better. Problem yeah. solved. Yeah. So they're not going to go into the dumps like they did when LeBron left. They'll still be a fringe playoff team. Mm. Viable. They'll As still be viable. To like the number, the worst team in the league, which it's they not, got the number one pick to get Kyrie Irving. It's not like Isaiah Thomas is some random no. point guard player. No. Right. He was the second best player in the East last year. And Who knows how long he can keep that going? But yeah, he's a good player right now. And this and spawn and the spawn of Isaiah Thomas. I mean, it's it's in the blood. Unfortunately, no. But yeah, no, no, no relation. Just, I know, it just sounds like a great name. Yeah. You know, just throwing that out there. There's only one Isaiah Thomas to me, and he played for the Pistons and won NBA championship. Mm. He beat my Blazers. He beat your Blazers. He got elbowed in the head by Carl Malone. Oh, that was a great elbow, Many, a, Many a fool get elbowed <laughs> by Carl Malone. <laughs> hey, um, are you guys going to do your show today? Sometimes it's hard. We get, <laughs> Not today, to hurt, guys. Today we're going we to talk about BYU sports and nations. Don't you love Carl Malone? Yes, I really do. We love the man show with Jimmy Kimmel where he makes fun of Carl Malone. I know. That's what we love. Carl Malone's son plays for LSU. Yes, he's in lineman. <gasps> he'll you be in town. Carl Malone Jr. Yeah. And Carl will be here for that. Well, well it's in Houston. Houston. Oh. He'll be in Houston. Yeah, he'll Carl be in Houston Malone's for that. Be in Houston to see son play BYU. <laughs> We're going to talk about the versatility of... BYU's program, specifically Matt Hadley, who was a safety, now he's a starting linebacker in the absence of Fred or Francis Bernard. Mm. Also, we'll discuss if you could switch any player to a different position on the football team, who would you switch and why? Yeah, the premise of the conversation today is okay, so BYU takes a kid that was a defensive safety who was going to be a running back in the spring, and then they decide to move him back to safety, and now he's the starting linebacker, and he's also a kick returner. And we all think this is fine. Why do we think this is fine? Don't get mad. We're fired up. Three days to go, man. You just Plus got all Greg mad. Will join us. Voice of the Cougars. Man, great and show. a little big deal, no deal. We'll show you that Lego video we talked about. Tons of fun. Plus the Lego video. Well, guys, we wish you the best of luck. Uh, love 
peace, joy, all of that. And have fun with your Legos. I mean, you guys are now big league. You're in the Legos. You're in the Legos video. How would it be? I mean, I want to be. Jeff, can you get me in a Legos video? Um, Somehow, just get me in a. I could probably get you in like a knockoff. Yeah, that's what this cheap one is. import. I want a knockoff cheap import Lego YouTube video, but I really wanted of somebody that gets more than a million views. Um, Even if I'm just one face me, in the you crowd. You had me until the views. Okay, I could have could have helped you out, but you got you got greedy. I totally did. I did, it just got I got I just got carried away. It got away from me. Well, let's just let's just wrap it up then. And what better way to do it than with our hero story of the day? What a cool story this is. Uh, this comes out of West Jordan, Utah from KSL.com. High school teacher Ricky Stewart, uh, she's getting married next month. But the wedding gifts on her registry aren't dishes or glasses. She said, I registered for tennis shoes and Converse and backpacks and winter coats for the homeless kids at our school. Stewart was shocked to learn that more than about 100 of her students um, are homeless at Copper Hills High School when the school set up a food pantry. One of my students walked up very quietly and said, so my mom wants to know how I can actually get some of the food, Stewart said as her voice cracked. It's very real. So Stewart sent out her wedding invitations with an insert offering guests the option in lieu of gifts to donate to her homeless student project. The donations came in so quickly, her funding goal was met before she even mailed out all of the invites. A second insert card went into the invitations asking guests to donate to the donor's choose fund um, that would provide coats and tents for students um, throughout the Jordan School District. Donations, again, are coming in from New York, from California. Even people that weren't on the guest list are now donating. It's not me. It's pure kindness And holy cow, it's changing a life. Ricky Stewart used her wedding announcements to raise uh, gifts and donations for her homeless students. That's why she's the hero of the day, folks. It doesn't take uh, bravery. It doesn't always take crazy extreme things to become the hero. Sometimes you just need to do what you need to do and do what you can do. That's the show, my friends. We will be back again tomorrow, 9 to noon Eastern time, to help you live longer, love stronger, and lead healthier, happier lives. BYU Sports Nation is up next.